In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting-edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to Resolution Radio. ResolutionRDO.com You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the political cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, you probably recognize that bit of music as What Child Is This? And and it's true, those lyrics were put to the tune, but uh, that song's actual title is Greensleeves. And legend has it that King Henry VIII composed it for Anne Boleyn. Now, there's no historical consensus on that, but we do know that that song dates back to 16th century Europe. And I thought it would be a perfect way to kick off this special season of faith, family, and tradition, the season of hope and goodwill. We're now officially post-Thanksgiving, so welcome to the Christmas season here on TPC. I'm your host, James Edwards. We're broadcasting live, and joining us from Iowa right now as we kick off this festive and spiritual time for our people is a man who truly needs no introduction to this or any audience in America, I don't think, making his debut uh, on the program tonight is former Congressman Steve King. Congressman, it is truly an honor to have you here, and uh, I know that turkey may still be settling, but uh, is it too early to say Merry Christmas? Oh, it's not too early. My wife went shopping today and hasn't returned yet, so I think it's already. <laughs> she's getting ready, James, and I'm happy to be on with you tonight. I'm really pleased and honored. Well, I assure you, uh, the honor is entirely ours. And ladies and gentlemen, over the course of the next hour, by the way, my wife has been out today, too, so we're in those trenches together. Uh, that and others, as it would turn out. And over the course of the next hour, we're going to be talking with Representative King about his time in Congress, his vision for the future, and a must-read book, Walking Through Fire, My Fight for the Heart and Soul of America. You can find it at steveking.com. But first... You sat down with Tucker Carlson recently for an absolutely riveting interview. There's so many things I want to get to tonight with you, but uh, just a few days ago with Tucker, you were talking about how Washington operates. And even Tucker Carlson, who, of course, has spent his entire life covering politics, said that the interview, uh, throughout that interview, he learned so much from you about how Congress actually worked. Now, could we just start there, maybe just boil it down while focusing on your personal experiences for just a couple of minutes before we get, uh, get to the meat of the matter? Well, James, I think the thing that people are missing is, and by the way, I missed some of it when I was in that arena, the power structure that's been built by leadership itself, the way they've coveted power. And um, for me, I, I saw this, though, by the time we got to 2010, uh, Democrats were in majority, elected, in, they won the majority in 06. They lost it in 2010 because they passed Obamacare on us. 
And uh, when we took over that majority, we had 87 new freshmen. And I didn't want to see the Republican leadership reflect the kind of power uh, power centric at the top that Nancy Pelosi had. So I went to work to change the rules, change the steering committee, and uh, take this thing so it'd be membership driven, bottom up, rather than top down imposed. And I recall it got so bad that John Boehner was to be the speaker and, and became speaker. It got so bad that when uh, they were changing the map on where the steering committee came from, which states by each representative, they were doing that on the fly because they'd already decided who was going to be on the steering committee, and they were writing this map verbally to us. And so I wrote it down, and I brought an amendment that codified what they were explaining, and I should have been honored that we, I was going to put them in a place where they had a chance to keep their word. But John Boehner stood in front of me, and his hands were just trembling. He came out from behind the podium and approached me, just stood there, and his hands were shaking because I had challenged their power. Well, that just grew and grew. So I guess uh, fast forward is this, that they consolidated the power base even more while John Boehner was, was speaker. And they passed legislation in 2013 or 14 that let them uh, draw thousands more money into the leadership team, the leadership pact, and the party, and limited, of course, captive for members to now it's $2,900 uh, for, per individual, per primary, and then, of course, another one for the, the general election. So I, I said this on Tucker that for every dollar that a candidate can raise it would, and meet the caps that from an, an individual con con contribution uh, from, from one individual, for every one, I said this on Tucker, it's $132 that uh, can be raised by leadership. And then, but actually I had to go back and recalculate that. So I want to correct it here. That must have been, uh, anyway, it's $88. For $1 a candidate can raise from an individual donor, <laughs> it's $88 for leadership. But if you calculate then the RNC, the Republican National Committee, that number goes from 88 up to $214, 214 to one. And so how do you, uh, how do you compete with people like that who then say, you go down to the NRCC, get on the telephone, and you spend your time down there raising money and giving it to the party. And if you raise enough money, you're going to get a committee assignment that you might want. You could even become a, um, a chairman one day or a subcommittee chairman. And so it's they they, they not only do they they hold the leverage of all of, of a vast majority of the money, they decide who in the primaries is going to come out of that. And Kevin McCarthy has been picking the rhinos over the conservatives. So this is it's way too power centric. And uh, it doesn't reflect we the people. What it is is leadership imposing their will on the group okay. rather than leadership bringing out the will of the group. You need to watch this entire interview with Tucker Carlson. I retweeted it a couple of days ago. I guess it had to have been a, a day or so before Thanksgiving. Check it out, folks. Your eyes will widen and your jaws will drop as Steve King uh, pulls back the curtain on the inner workings of Washington. And I asked you on the phone the other day, why there aren't more men in, uh, like you in Washington? Why men and women of honor are so scarce up there? Is, is, is it, uh, are people worthy of leadership, just too busy working and raising families to run for office? Or are people who get elected just looking after number one? Are they too concerned with maintaining their position to face the wrath of the media once they're in office? Uh, are they susceptible to bribes and threats? What's, what's going on here? You know, all, all of those options apply in some places or other, but from a, generally speaking, um, you get freshmen that come in that are generally, they, they, they are generally have ideals and they have objectives and goals, and they think they're going to be able to accomplish that. But I went through 11 days of, they called it orientation, and it was about, oh, I'd say four days of orientation and seven days of indoctrination. And they tell you what you should never do, like never vote against the rule. So that keeps them in control of you even more. And uh, 
about you need to raise money because you can't change the world if you don't come back next time. These kind of things. And the, the leverage just keeps going and going and going. Um, I recall when that, uh, that class elected in 2010, I was walking over to, um, to vote one evening, very early in that session, with a freshman. And uh, he said, well, I got, I got appointed to the rules committee, and I'm pretty happy about that, assi- that assignment. And um, I said, oh, well, you ought to be happy, I guess. You get to vote the way leadership tells you to on the, steward, on the, on the rules committee. It is the speaker's rules committee, and that's not what that is and long has been. And he said, oh, no, they told me I could vote my conscience. I'm a free man, and if I do well enough on the rules committee, then I'm going to be able to get on ways and means in a couple of years, and that's my goal. Um, well, okay, but he learned, and 10 years later, he was still on the rules committee, and he was voting the way leadership wanted him to vote, and now he's retired. That's kind of what happens to a lot of them like that. So that's why we don't have more champions uh more representatives, let me put it this way, championing the issues of, in in your case, the Republican Party, which I'm a conservative, I'm a populist. Mm -hmm. That's why we don't have more representation up there that are willing to talk about the tough issues like you talked about, like defending Western civilization. And folks, we're going to get to all of that with uh, the one and only Steve King. SteveKing.com. Check out this book. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, and then we'll get into some topics that are going to make those intrepid journalists, so-called journalists at the Huffington Post and Daily Beast, absolutely salivate. Stay tuned. It's all coming your way this hour. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. While you're waiting, drop by our Confederate corner for a free cup of coffee and good conversation. Remember, there are no strangers here, just friends who haven't met yet. Dixie Republic, we're not just a roadside attraction, we're a destination for our people. For more information, visit DixieRepublic.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the Lion of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. And back we are with Congressman Steve King. Folks, I want to remind you to check out SteveKing.com, this book uh, that we are going to be talking about this segment, Walking Through Fire. And surely he did that if you followed his career. 
my fight for the heart and soul of America. I will just give you uh, a cornucopia of topics are covered in this book. Political treason by the Republican hierarchy. Media defamation, libel, and slander. Uh, Again, talk about Western civilization. King's early life. Uh, President Trump and Congressman King. Um, The illegal alien invasion and its magnitude. As he puts it, the lying, mendacious duplicity of Kevin McCarthy. And so much more. So much more. And, folks, you know how it works around here. We don't ask you. We will promote a lot of things. We will have people on to promote things. But we won't purposefully. I will not specifically ask you to support something and buy something unless I have done so myself. Earlier today I made the purchase, and I can't wait to receive the book. Congressman King, I don't even know where to start with all of the topics, but let's start with Trump, who just made that announcement. You said uh, the other day that – your opinion on the 2024 race changed uh, not too long ago. Uh, let's talk about Trump, uh, his prospects, and your experiences with him. Well, yes, I think I'd start with this, James, is that um, I've said to people, and I believe we had this conversation on August 7th of this summer, uh, if you'd asked me what my preferred approach would be, it would have been if uh, Trump would step back and become the godfather of Trumpism and encourage one or two or several candidates that would be aggressive and active to carry forward. That seemed to me to be the best route because he has been pounded so much and he's got anchors he's dragging. But the next morning, about 9 o'clock, then Merrick Garland's uh, troops showed up at Mar-a-Lago. And when that happened, when they raided Mar-a-Lago, that means all bets are off, all pretenses out of the way. They They have weaponized and they are using that Department of Justice for a political agenda, an aggressive and an aggressive political agenda. That tells me that it is so corrupt. We have to have a president on a Republican ballot that will go in there and pull every one of these characters out. If he can't fire them, put them in a warehouse for four years, let them sit there till they get tired of it. But they need about, I'd say about three tiers down. And when I think of, say, a DeSantis, who has all the skill sets to be a really good president, if he came in as president in 2024, he would clean up some of the Trump um, mess, mess that's there. I'm, I'm talking about the people that are uh, the entrenched people who are undercutting Trump from the executive branch of government, he would clean up some of that. I don't think he would clean it all up because he'd have his agenda and his legacy to worry about. There's only one person that has the, the motive and the knowledge to go in and straighten this government out, and that's Donald Trump. And uh, however hard it might be to get him reelected again, we're hearing pushback come from the establishment wing of the party. They sure don't want him there because they're the uniparty partners on the Republican side. Uh, but and, and that so the the press is actually I think standing DeSantis up to try to create a yeah. foil for Trump. But they're not going to be any nicer to DeSantis than they were to McCain after he was you know after he that's, went through you know, the after he won the nomination. That's right, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but you, you are that, that was the take that we had after Trump's announcement, and I was reading things, and I mentioned this last week, and I don't want to dwell on this because there's so much we need to cover, but I, I saw a, a CNN op-ed written by David Axelrod talking about how wonderful DeSantis was and how that was the best choice for the Republican Party. I was wondering, why is this lifelong Democratic <laughs> operative, why is he being so nice and so helpful? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you figured it out right away when you saw Axelrod endorsing DeSantis. Yeah, yeah that's that's. Uh... That's part of what they want to do. They're, they fear Donald Trump, and they will try anything uh, to avoid having him step back into the White House. But I think we have to step up. We owe it to him, after all. I mean, this, here's, here's something that, that I think people don't know about, is that when he was elected in 2016, I believe the date was November 8th, um, but in any case, the following Sunday, 
The, the Occidental Mandarin Hotel in Washington, D.C. had been reserved by the high-powered Democrats. They came in on Sunday, checked in on Sunday afternoon, and uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and checked out at noon on Wednesday. The lead there was George Soros, but all the top people were there. They had planned to calculate how they were going to exploit Hillary's presidency. Of course, they had to change their plan, and there they plotted the resistance movement. They decided Donald Trump would not be allowed to govern this country. Uh, they would time up every possible way, and I believe out of there, and this part I don't know for a fact, I believe out of there came the plan to impeach him because we heard right away on the floor of Congress and lame duck, we're going to impeach Donald Trump before he's ever even in, in, inaugurated into yeah. office. So that's women with pink hats, a million of them in Washington, D.C. for the inauguration, demonstrations in nearly every major there. city yeah. in the country. It was all, it was all, I believe, orchestrated out of that hotel with George Soros calling some of the shots and some of the minions following through. So uh, I don't know if that particular part is in the book, but you're going to get these behind-the-scenes observances of Congressman King, how the political lynching of, 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 of his own party against him. Let's talk about that. It set the conservative movement back for years to come. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, look, Kevin McCarthy, uh, the, the GOP has a House majority now. Um, what would you like to see with regards to the next leadership there, and what should Republicans attempt to do over the course of the next two years? Well, I'd say the first thing is that, Kevin McCarthy does not have the moral character to be Speaker of the House. And it's been his singular objective since he came into the House of Representatives. He was Chief of Staff for Bill Thomas out of California prior to that. So he's been steeped in this. Bill Thomas knew how to pull the levers of power, too. But I watched McCarthy when he came in as a freshman. I could see that pattern. I could see him maneuvering constantly. And almost everybody in that conference agrees that his singular goal is to be Speaker. Now, if you want to be something, that's not necessarily means you want to do something. And he is a rhino. Um, for example, here's um, I, I, I authored the heartbeat bill at the national level and brought that in, moved that into Congress, and we worked it really hard. We got to 174 co-sponsors, almost twice as many as you would normally need to get a hearing and a markup before the before the Judiciary Committee, where I was where I was seated for 16 years, and. Uh, at the end of the lame duck session, or near, near, the, near the end of the lame duck session, we had about two weeks left, and that needed to come before a markup before the Judiciary Committee according to a 100% promise given to me by the chairman about Goodlap. But Kevin McCarthy killed the heartbeat bill. He killed it when all we had to do was bring it through the committee, and we would have said to the world, you know what, Congress is on the side of life, and we don't have exceptions for rape and incest, and we're going to protect every baby with a heartbeat. Uh, but but he killed it dead, and that would be about mid-December of 2018. By late January, early February 2019, I got my fundraising letter from the Susan B. Anthony Lift, the lead pro-life organization in the country, which Marilyn and I have supported for a while. And uh, on that letter was a four-page letter from Kevin McCarthy. He's now the new pro-life champion for Susan B. Anthony's list. That's just <laughs> sickening to me. Um, the babies that have died because he stood in the way and that he's raising money and calling himself now he's calling he's calling himself pro-life, and now this week he's calling himself pro-border security. Um, and he came to me once and said, hey, "How do I get my my numbers up? My uh, on um, on immigration? I get he gets like a D. Um, I'm I don't remember exactly, but I think it was a D from Numbers USA. And uh, the answer back is, why don't you do something positive to secure the border? Of course, he didn't <laughs> until now. He thinks he has to. It is it is not just smoke and mirrors. It's cynical and. and he thinks he's smarter than everybody else around him, and we don't see this. 
And I put this out in a tweet the other day, and it came into my ear from others that knew him, but I knew it to be true. He said, Kevin McCarthy will look you in the eye, and he will lie to you, even when he knows you know he's lying, if that gets him to the next step. And he's lied wow. directly to me. And it does, and I've had him on tape. That's a pretty scathing commentary from a, coming from a, a former United States representative about the speaker or at least current speaker of the House. Well, it is. But, you know, I live that. And he's the, he's the one that orchestrated the nationwide ambush on me because he had concluded, I believe, that in the final analysis, there are a number of things. They didn't want me securing the border. They didn't want me standing in the way to repeal Obamacare. They sure didn't like the idea that this conservative in Iowa, where we're first in the nation caucus, was getting more and more leverage as the candidates came through here and ensuring that the principled constitutional conservatives were going to be the ones that came out of Iowa. All of that uh, created enemies. And so, and, and that, and that some within the state of Iowa, many of them at the Republican elitist level, the Jeb Bushes, the Mitt Romneys, the Chris Christie's, those people, those never Trumper Republicans, um, they came to Iowa. I treated them nice, but they didn't get any traction. And so they wanted to be able to nominate the candidate of their choice. But Kevin McCarthy was right there in the middle of this because he needed to get rid of at least one person that would would perhaps lead the way to deny him the speakership in this cycle we're talking about right now. Ladies and gentlemen, the book at steveking.com, Walking Through Fire by the gentleman you are listening to right now has been endorsed by well, a lot of the heavy hitters. Jim DeMint, uh, Louis Gomer. Uh, Colonel Oliver North, North. Michelle Bachman, yeah. yeah, Ollie North, uh, Tom Tancredo, and, uh, and uh, forward by Michelle Malk. And you want to know how uh, Washington operates behind the scenes? Uh, I'm not going to say this is a tell-all book, but it is a book you'll want to read. I can't wait to read it. I have not read it yet. Let me be honest about that, but I have ordered it, and it's going to be something that's going to be on my Christmas reading list and, and so much more. Uh, we're going to shift gears here after the break, Congressman, but well, there's the music right now. If you could answer in 10 seconds, what is the reason people need to read this book? Uh, to find out what goes on in the inner workings of Congress and understand how devious the leadership can be and why we don't have our voice heard in Washington. There it is. And you heard it from the man himself. We'll be right back with him, Steve King, the one and only, live on your radio. We'll be right back. Claiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. Authorities in China's Xinjiang region are opening up some neighborhoods after residents held late night protests against the zero COVID lockdown measures that lasted for three months. The demonstrations, as well as public anger online, are the latest signs of building frustration with China's approach to controlling COVID-19. It's the only major country in the world that's still fighting the pandemic through mass testing and lockdowns. Rescuers are working through rain and mud to find more possible victims of a massive landslide on the southern Italian resort island of Ischia, triggered by heavy rainfall. Sky News translates Italy's interior minister, Matteo Piantadossi. There are difficulties in the rescue operations because the weather conditions are very challenging. We're sending teams both by air and sea. I'm in close contact with Prime Minister Giorgio Maloney and my fellow ministers. It's an evolving situation, very serious. At least one person is dead and up to 12 others are missing. 
A vigil will be held for the six victims killed during a shooting at a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. The announcement comes as police release a so-called death note written by the suspected gunman, Andre Bing. Bing was a supervisor at the store who was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound after the shooting. He wrote on his phone about being harassed by his co-workers, wishing that he could start over. The handgun being used was purchased legally the morning of the shooting. A record $9.12 billion in online sales were made on Black Friday, so says Adobe Analytics. Inflation is part of the reason for the higher number. Online sales for electronics spiked 221% compared to an average day in October. MacBooks and Apple Watches were top sellers along with drones, the Xbox Series X, and games like FIFA 23. You are listening to USA Radio News. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. And it's true. The typical family switching to MediShare saves 500 bucks or more a month, which is obviously huge for a lot of people. But what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. There are 400,000 members. They've shared over $4 billion in medical bills. And it really is a great community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. And here's the thing. If you join MediShare Complete right now, they'll waive your new member fees and you'll save an additional 10% off all of 2023. That's right. No fee to join, 10% off every month of next year, but it's a very limited time offer. You have to sign up before December 31st. Great savings, great health care. Find out more. Call now. 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE. Had a little false start that last segment. Well, it is the first uh, week into the Christmas season, after all. And you know, one of the things we like to do here is to play a lot of that feel-good music. Am I, am I right, ladies and gentlemen? It is a very special time of year uh, for yours truly, and I believe this entire listening audience and uh, our guest as well tonight, Congressman Steve King. Congressman, I want to get into uh, what your plans are for the future and uh, hit some heavy topics as well. Now, uh, on this particular program, we do hit the heavy topics, so I'm going to hit you with a few things here, and uh, feel free to take a pass or answer them or say, you know, it's much ado about nothing or take it in any direction you'd like. But at uh, Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary, which is where I'm at right now, uh, they define genocide as being the deliberate and systematic destruction of a racial, political, or cultural group. Been a lot of talk this year, a lot of talk recently about the Great Replacement. The media calls it a theory. But it's not a theory. The white population of this country was well over 90% in the 1960s. Today it's much closer to 50%. Now, that's a fact. You can argue why that's happening and whether or not it's intentional, but you cannot argue that it is not occurring, not at least in good faith. Several polls have shown that a majority of Republican voters, Trump voters, base Republican voters, now recognize that this is happening and are in opposition to it. What is your opinion on the issue, Congressman, and uh, do you think that it rises to meet the definition of a genocide? Well, I don't know if I'd quite say genocide because it's not like, it's not pushing for a mass death. It's just pushing for a mass expiration 
of uh, low, lower birth rates among whites is one of the things that they like to see, and uh, bringing in massive numbers of, of aliens of all kinds, whether they're legal or illegal, from every culture, almost except without almost everything but white culture. I'll say European culture is one of those things. And sure. so I have say, I've looked at this for a long time, and I've had my concerns that go back a quarter century or more. Um, and I've been down to the border over and over again, and I, I just began doing the calculation. What happens when you bring in, um, I'll say, military-age men by the millions from the from the cultures that are are violent and they don't accept our American civilization? And uh, it's it's uh, I, I will argue this that you bring in one person from another culture, you're importing their culture too. It's axiomatic. When you bring a second one in. You can still assimilate, and then greater the number, sooner or later they become an enclave, and they reconstruct their home country here in an enclave in the United States. And and they will, the others will say, all the cultures are equal. They are not. Western civilization is a superior civilization, and here, here. it is actually the first world, James. Um, first world is Western civilization. It doesn't exist outside of Western civilization. And then you've got the second world, the Marxists, the communists, and the third world are the people that are living in survival. Uh, so um, why would you want to destroy the first world? But they do. They despise, they despise what has been accomplished by Western civilization. They've created this racial envy. They've said that Western civilization is white civilization, therefore it's evil, and that babies born with white skin are inherently racist. I mean, this thing is, is accelerated in such a way that it's, it's a whiplash in America. And why would the people that have built the greatest civilization in the history of the world hand it over out of something called white guilt? Um, I think we're entitled to accepting some some gratitude for all that's been built here and the comfort that's there for all the people in this country. And uh, that, by the way, this also is happening in Europe in a big way. I went over to Europe and spent several trips. I don't know how many trips I made in there, but I made several that were intentionally to walk among those hordes of people that were marching from horizon to horizon into Europe, primarily aimed for Germany. And I've gone into the no-go zones in most all of those countries walked in there unprotected when the State Department said, we're not going, I just walked in. Uh, I've seen it. I've talked to them over there. It is strategic. It's being pushed again by George Soros and, and others. And the objective is to hold and maintain democratic power, but tear down Western civilization. And then they, they believe in the chaos created. They can take a total power. And that total power would be a Marxist-type government with a few oligarchs at the top in gated communities and chaos everywhere else. That is one hell of an answer, Congressman. And I thank you and I applaud you. I salute you for giving it. Uh, listen, if, <laughs> let's just get into it a little bit deeper. I heard a joke one time, uh, and there's truth in it. <laughs> okay. Uh, the joke is, what do you call a black man who is thankful for the way God made him? You call him a black man. What do you call a white man who's thankful for the way God made him? A white supremacist. Uh, and so I, I, I mm -hmm. this is my take on this. I believe that every group of people ought to be proud of their unique history and their ancestors and their heroes and their culture and their folkways and their faith. But humanity does consist of unique groups who oftentimes have conflicting interests. And to put them all in one living space breeds, I think, discontent. Now, if you asked any member of Congress how they plan to help African-Americans or Hispanic-Americans or homosexuals or whomever, they would have an answer lock-loaded and ready to go. It wouldn't even be an afterthought. But if you ask them, for instance, mm -hmm. what their plan would be to help the white working class, for instance, 
Now, you're likely to be escorted out of that town hall by security. Why do you think that is? And do you think that the day will ever come when elected Republicans will mention the name of the group that actually votes for them? Well, it seems like there's a movement in that direction. In fact, I know there's a movement in that direction. And um, there's several different groups in the country that are starting to form that way to defend the core, the core culture and civilization that built the United States of America. And they're less and less apologetic about this. But I can tell you the pressure in Washington yes. is just so utterly high. And if you looked at what they attacked me for, um, because I had said in a, in a New York Times, I was misquoted in the New York Times. But even that quote, if you look at it and understand it, shouldn't have been anything that gave, gave anybody any heartburn. But I've been making this argument that that's well, what the left. It, remind was, the audience what you said. Remind, remind them what you said. Okay. Yeah. That, well, what I was quoted as saying is that Westerns, oh, no, it was, it was um, white nationalism, white supremacy, Western civilization. How did that language become pejorative? Why did I sit in the classroom hearing about the merits of Western civilization just to see it become a derogatory term today? Um, the last part didn't get quoted in the paper, but they they conflated white nationalism and white supremacy with Western civilization and said that I had asked, how did those first two terms become pejorative? No, I was defending Western civilization exactly, and I'd done that before. I had never even been quoted as using those other two terms. Going back in the Lexus Nexus of the year 2000, and uh, I had never even uttered white nationalism or white supremacy. I didn't think in those terms. But I had defend, defended Western civilization quoted 276 times in that same time frame. And uh, they still um, decided that was all enough reason to eventually squeeze me out of Congress because, um, well, because they had other motives and they set it up. They set it up in advance. And I knew they were going to trap that and unleash it. I just didn't know what the trigger was. And so uh, that's all in my book. And it, it lays it out factually. No one has challenged one word in that book for fact. Um, and the conclusions you can draw yourselves in there. But that's uh, that's what it was. It was. And so did, so maybe I should take you back to another little incident here that really brought my attention to it. Opening night of the 2016 Republican National Convention in Cleveland, I did a panel with MSNBC. Chris Hayes is the moderator. They had um, April Ryan, a, a black commentator there, and a fellow by the name of Charlie Pierce. Well, we had our little banner going back and forth, and maybe it wasn't all that friendly. I didn't notice it was bad. And then at the end, um, at the end, Charlie Pierce said, one could be an optimist and hope that this would be the last Republican convention where or, or any, any or the last Republican convention where old white people have anything to say about it. And uh, then so they're ready to cut away. I couldn't let that go. And I said, Charlie, that's getting kind of tired. I'm tired of hearing that. I'd invite you to explain to all of us what other subgroup has contributed more. And uh, Chris mm -hmm. Hayes leaned over and leered at me and said, more than white people, thinking they had me trapped. And I said, more than Western civilization itself, defined by everywhere where the footprint of Jesus Christ laid the foundation hey, for man. a civilization. Yep. I'm gonna get and to that, that yes. was that targeted me uh, in 2016 as a white supremacist and a white nationalist. Yeah, it, it, you don't have to earn it anymore. <laughs> Basically, being born white is uh, <laughs> will do it for you. And I wrote a book about that in 2010, and it was ahead of its uh -huh. time, I think. But it's uh, yeah, I'd anyway. Say so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, wow, where to go from here uh, with only uh, about a minute remaining? I, 
I will try to work some of this in. But it, it, I want to talk to you in the next segment about where you're going from here personally. Obviously, folks, get the book at steveking.com. Well, first, I think very quickly, I like, I'm just speaking. I don't want to give anybody the kiss of death here, but just speaking from my seat as a commentator, I like what I'm seeing out of Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gozer, maybe Josh Hawley. Who are some of the people in Congress that we should be watching? Who are some of the people that, you know what, there's something there, in your opinion? Well, I think you've named uh, several good ones. I'd add Andy Biggs to that. And um, yep. let me see. Andy be solid. People that are kind of quiet back behind there a little bit. Um, Andy Harris from Maryland. He's a solid principled conservative. Matt Gates is a flamboyant, but he is strong and bold. We need strong and bold people. And I hope Amen. Lauren Boebert doesn't uh, get weaker here after her close race. So some of the things I'm thinking about. I was glad about, she James, won. Yeah, I was glad she squeaked that out. I was, wa- I was watching. I was actually refreshing that one all the way through. It just, uh, came down to like the, you know, just the last couple of hundred votes. But anyway, hey, folks, SteveKing.com. Buy the book. I did it today, and I think you should too. SteveKing.com. One more segment with the former congressman next. Hello, TPC family. It's James, and I've got to tell you that I sleep better at night knowing that there are organizations like the Conservative Citizens Foundation. The purpose of the Conservative Citizens Foundation is to promote the principles of limited government, individual liberty, equality before the law, property rights, law and order, judicial restraint, and states' rights, while, at the same time, exploring the dangers posed by liberalism to our national interests and cultural institutions. The Conservative Citizens Foundation also seeks to educate the public on the dangers of extremist ideologies like critical race theory and cultural Marxism. I've worked with the good people at the Conservative Citizens Foundation for many years and their work comes with my complete endorsement. For more information and to keep up with all the latest conservative news headlines, please check out their website, MericaFirst.com. That's M-E-R-I-C-A-1-S-T.com. MericaFirst.com. Have you ever had great honey? No, I mean really good, all-natural, raw honey? Well, now you can, thanks to LocalHoneyMan.com. We can ship out our locally made honey all across the U.S. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Plus, Local Honey Man has so many different flavors, like Utah Wildflower, High Desert Delight, Happy Valley, and Blackberry, just to name a few. So purchase your delicious raw honey today at LocalHoneyMan.com. Do you treasure your liberty? Well, at LovingLiberty.net, we most certainly do. And we want to help protect your liberty, too. Become part of the family. Everyone knows that the core of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect the integrity of its family. We the people. Won't you join us as a Loving Liberty sponsor to help us promote the principles in the 5,000-year leap? Let's restore the miracle that changed the world at LovingLiberty.net. out those Christmas kinks coming out of the breaks on uh, this, the, these Christmas uh, songs. That was uh, that was my fault. But anyway, it makes me feel better to just to hear a, a snippet of Carol of the Bells there. Uh, back with uh, Congressman King. 
And I want to talk with him about uh, his uh, plans for the future, now looking forward. But first, uh, I, I want to make mention of this because I think we should. Uh, coming up next in the following hour, the, 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 the next hour, as soon as uh, you're clear tonight, uh, Steve, is uh, Peter Brimelow, the editor of VDare, former editor oh, yeah. of Forbes, author of Alienation, Common Sense About America's Immigration Disaster, uh, best-selling book uh, some years ago. Uh, you were the keynote speaker at Jared Taylor's American Renaissance Conference just last week. Uh, actually, as we sit here tonight, a week ago at this time, you were there. Now, both of these gentlemen, mm -hmm. are, both of these gentlemen are gentlemen <laughs> and scholars and friends of mine, longtime friends, in fact. Now, um, not very long ago, you would routinely see men like uh, Peter and Jared, and even me on occasion, on uh, featured on primetime cable news programming. Uh, but now, of course, the media has libeled and slandered. Um, people like that and like us as white supremacists and so on. And, and so that's that. And that's fine. I expect that out of our wholly dishonest and criminally corrupt media. But what concerns me is that establishment conservative voices are allowing their enemies and ours to dictate the terms of whom they can associate with and speak to. Now, at some point, uh, I, I think public figures will have to be able to speak with such advocates without fear of what so-called journalists think about it. Now, I guess you agree with that because you were there last week. And what led you to make that decision to speak at American Renaissance? Well, I think that we need to lend voice to the the values and the principles that at least the ones that I voiced there. And I have I've just now I've had this attitude for a long long time. I've been a strong strong advocate for freedom of speech. And when I see people's freedom of speech curtailed because the, the other people disagree with it, and then they organize to muzzle them. That does. That's not what made America. It's got to be a robust, some competitive freedom of speech. And so, if I go in there, I gave a was supposed to be, I think, a 30-minute speech and 15 minutes Q and A, and I got kind of carried away and didn't step down for an hour and 15 minutes. And I only saw Jerry look at his watch once. <laughs> and so, uh, but anyway, I was having fun and they were paying attention. So, um, but but I think the important is this: that give people a perspective, tell them what you believe in, let them sort out what they hear come to their own conclusions, and then conduct themselves accordingly. Why should we fear speech? Uh, why should we try to muzzle someone who says, I have a European heritage, and look at all the things we brought with us over here. Look at the things we developed once we got here. Uh, what's wrong with any of this? And I don't happen to believe there's a reason why um, anyone of a different race or ethnicity can't embrace Western civilization and, and succeed within the, the parameters that have been set up by it. Free enterprise, freedom of religion, free speech, the press, the assembly, keep and bear arms, uh, on, all the way down the line, the pillars of American exceptionalism are accessible to everyone. And when you muzzle people like Peter Brimlow or Jared Taylor or Steve King or James Edwards or anyone else out there, what you're saying is you don't have confidence that your ideology can compete. Hey, that's right. And so that's, I, I've been, actually, I want to just go off on a little side one here because when I heard the commercial in the earlier part of the segment for DixieRepublic.com, it made me think of a freedom of speech that I dove into as a Yankee. And probably have to apologize talking into your listeners, but I can't help where I was born. Anyway, um, I was uh, I was just walking <laughs> through my office one day, and there was a debate going on on big screen. and was always kept that on on the floor, and I didn't take time to listen. I just turned to my staff and said, what are they debating down there? And they said, well, they're debating amendments that Democrats are bringing to take the, the Confederate, I'll say, battle flag, to keep it correct, down anywhere where it happens to have a federal wall or a federal nexus. 
and they keep bringing amendments and debating it. And so I, I, I just listened to maybe 30 seconds of that. And then I realized what was going on. I ran out, went down the down the elevator to the tunnel. I ran through the tunnel over to the Capitol, up onto the floor, and commanded the, the floor. I uh, got recognized to speak. I was puffing probably through the whole five minutes. But I made the, I made this argument that 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 battle flag is about Southern pride. It's not about advocating for slavery. It's about Southern pride. And if you go to Google and Google in Southern pride, by the time you get the barbecue out of the way, it's all battle flags after that. And if you if you Google slavery and hit images, you get about seven or eight pages of black and white slaves picking cotton and doing things. There's not one battle flag in the whole thing. It never it didn't in the modern era, at least and since the end of the Civil War. It did not mean an advocate for slavery. It meant southern pride. And so they're tearing that all down. Now they've turned it into a verboten symbol uh, that NASCAR. Bubba Wallace got it taken down from NASCAR. You can't fly the battle flag at NASCAR anymore. And it's, they're crushing Southern pride. It, and I, also, I want to give credit what happened at Appomattox. When, when uh, Lee and Grant negotiated the surrender, Lee asked Grant, these boys need to keep their, their arms and they need to keep their horses. They, need the, they, they own their horses. And they need to go home and farm. And Grant said, they can keep the horses, tell them to stack their arms. The officers can keep their sidearms. And when that then was announced that there was, uh, I'll say, I'll call it a surrender of peace, a Republican, or excuse me, a, 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 a Union regiment fired off a volley in celebration, and Grant shut that down immediately, and he said, that's not the way to celebrate. From this day forward, these rebels are our countrymen. And that meant they got to keep their Southern pride and their horses, and the officers kept their sidearms, and they became countrymen at that moment. Um, and, by the way, put more troops that as a percentage of their population in the front lines of subsequent wars than any other region in the country. So I made that argument yeah. to them. I lost, but I put a Confederate flag on my desk as a symbol of freedom of speech I saw and it. respect for Southern pride. Okay. You know what? I, I, I told you on the phone uh, that you probably wouldn't have remembered it. It was just a short thing, but I bumped into you at Radio Row at the Republican National uh -huh. Convention in 2016, and I thanked you for your comments on uh, Western civilization. And I actually had just you know, done a Google search, and I saw that flag on your desk. I saw that flag on your desk. And let me tell you something, brother. Uh, speaking from a man who descended from uh, those brave soldiers, you know, the descendant, uh, a son of Confederate veterans, I guess, would be the way uh -huh. to put it. Um, I, I had ancestors that fought at Shiloh and... Uh, let me. We weren't the privileged ones. I can tell you that. I, nope. I, I joke that I descended from the only private in the Confederate Army. But every time you hear somebody <laughs> talking about their ancestry in the South, it's a general or a lieutenant colonel or something. But no, I descended from privates. But I am proud of them. I am proud of that patrimony, and I will never dishonor them. And so I appreciate. I didn't intend to get into that with you tonight, but I appreciate you bringing it up. I appreciate it, uh, and, 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 and my DNA appreciates it as well, uh, because it is something to be proud of. Anybody that's willing to fight and die for something, and they weren't fighting and die, I can guarantee you my pauper uh, ancestors weren't fighting to die for slaves that they didn't own. So, um, boy, that, that's right. Thank and you boy, again. That, by the way, the, the poorer you were, the less you wanted slaves competing, you for, competing against you for the value of labor. Uh, that's absolutely yeah. right. Well, we could do an entire hour about that, and I have a, a feeling, uh, I, I hope at least, that you will return uh, for uh, an encore appearance. Uh, let me ask you this very quickly. Oh, boy, I don't know if we have the time. Mm. 
let, let's just go to this. And if we have time, we'll, we'll, we'll double back. I want to talk to you about uh, the future. So you spent so many years in, in Congress uh, and in fighting the good fight. Uh, and now uh, here we are looking forward to the future. Uh, by the way, I, we mentioned this a couple of times. A great talk on the phone a couple of days ago with Congressman King. Uh, talked about family mm-hmm. and background. Even a Pat Buchanan connection. We, we talked about yeah. that a little bit. So <laughs> what's next for Steve King? Uh, in what ways might you be able to serve that higher calling to which you answered to as a as a congressman and as opposed to sitting in congress what may you be able to do now Uh, you still have connections and power and influence that most do not and with regards to the restoration look we're talking about christmas the birth of jesus christ the restoration and preservation of western christian civilization i like what i hear from victor orban for instance what kind of coalition uh coalition (laughs) can be made uh, there for the future of nationalism uh, and, and Christian-oriented nationalism, and, and what are you going to be doing? Well, James, we do have a lot to talk about, and uh, you, you mentioned Victor Orban. I call him the gold standard of Western civilization. He knows what he's doing. He's, he's methodically protecting his, the Western civilization within Hungary and influencing outside of there. Um, I, uh, I met with him for two hours and 40 minutes back in about 2015 or 16, and it was fascinating. And then, but I also went through Europe. And I met with the, the the patriotic party leaders that have sprung up across there since the the left had pushed so hard in the European Union. And I won't go through those names now because the time's short. But I was I was laying the foundation to build an international organization to restore Western civilization for the world. And we were very close to announcing it and launching it when this ambush came in on me and more or less destroyed my political capital and everything else I had going on. Um, so, but that's not, that part's not over. We still need to do that. The short version would be pulling all, all the countries in, in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, uh, that are, that are Western civilization founded. And then, of course, the United States, Canada, Oceania, Australia, and New Zealand, and, uh, pull those countries all together with at least one representative that represents the civilization, the Western civilization. That means principled conservative patriots. And each one of these countries need to have their own identity. They have their own language. Let them go ahead and, and hold all that identity, but pull together under the larger umbrella of Western civilization. And then, um, and then with all of that, build. I wanted to put up a national organization and started. Excuse me, an international organization that's founded and planted in Vienna, where we turned the Turks back in 1529 and in 1683, and saved Western civilization and then grow from there, but a university that's dedicated to gathering all the history, all the knowledge base, the, 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 the intelligence and the study of it all, and then, um, and then be able to exchange students and teachers, instructors back and forth and plant these cells in, in acceptable universities around Western civilization so that we have a knowledge base that's proud of what's been accomplished and will defend it with great vigor. And that's what I'm. That's what wow. I'd like to do in the future. I think we got a chance to get it done. It's going to take some work and money. Hey, decades! You have decades left in you, Steve King. And folks, <laughs> get the book. It's Christmas time. It makes a great gift. A book fits very nicely in a stocking. SteveKing.com. I'll be getting mine soon. Congressman, this hour, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Thank you so much <laughs> for the time and the honor. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. I think that we will. We will. Just bring me back. I'd be very happy to do this again, James. So it's been uh, fun for me. Got a date. It's a date. Thank you All so right. much. God bless you. Talk soon. Peter Brimlow up next.
Herbs have been used by people since the dawn of time. When Rockefeller introduced allopathic medicine, many herbal remedies fell by the wayside as people put their faith in prescription pills and the world just gets sicker. Here at Heathen Herbs, we look to the past and to nature for answers. We offer tinctures, magnesium skin cream, lip balm, tooth powder, colloidal silver throat spray, and more. Check us out at HeathenHerbs.com. You're listening to The Political Cesspool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. You've made a serious investment in protecting yourself and your family. You've purchased the gun, the ammunition, the training, and even secured a license to carry in your state. You know the Constitution and don't believe you should have to pay for a right that you already have, as written in the Second Amendment, but you are law-abiding. Now you are considering the legal defense options you should have if you ever have to use a firearm. Self-Defense Fund is a comprehensive litigation membership backing you on appeals, legal expenses, court costs, and more, up to $1 million per incident and unlimited attorney costs per member. Discover SelfDefenseFund.com for yourself. Any weapon, any state, any time. You're listening to Resolution Radio at ResolutionRDO.com. The only untold story of World War II you will ever need to know. You have done a magnificent job. The visual impact that people will experience when they see what you have produced, you've been very impartial in your presentation, and you have allowed the people, the viewers, to make up their own mind. You present the the evidence, and anyway, it's an honor to have you on the program. To find out more on this phenomenal documentary series, go to thegreateststorynevertold.tv. In ancient times, man roamed the earth in a constant state of hunting or being hunted. Introducing Caveman, where cutting-edge science meets ancient super nutrients. Secure your bottle right now at InfoWarsStore.com. You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. We will get this Christmas music right here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let's try this one more time. We're going to do better the rest of the year. <laughs> Yes, it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I wish you could 
heard the first part of that uh, particular song, but uh, wow. Well, you know what? It is live radio. Ladies and gentlemen, is it not? We ask that question rhetorically about every week when I mess something up. Uh, but in any event, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Uh, James Edwards, TPC, Saturday evening. It is the Christmas season. The Christmas season is upon us now. We're a little rusty, but we're going to ease into it here over the course of uh, the remainder of the year. We're going to get into December. It is Christmas time here on TPC. And we're going to have the music of the season to make you feel good while we're talking to standout guests like Steve King, who you just heard from. And now is Peter with us. All right, we got to get uh, Peter Brimelow back on the line. He will be uh, with us when he returns. Uh, of course, Peter Brimelow, the editor of VDare.com, former editor of Forbes. If, uh, you know, back in the day, you could have a difference of opinion with uh, the shadowy cabal that uh, runs our particular uh, way of life and uh, still be employed by publications like that. But Peter Br- Brimelow is a par excellence author of the best-selling book Alien Nation: Common Sense About Immigration, America's Immigration Disaster. He's back for a wide-ranging discussion on news and current events, and I believe he is back now. Peter, are you there? Yes, I am, James. Finally, there we go. Now we're five by five. All right. Well, it's great to have you back tonight. Uh, did you get a chance to listen to Steve King's comments on the program in the last? I, hour? I, I certainly did, and of course, I was in the audience when he gave his keynote address the last afternoon. Yes, which, as you, I, which was actually very successful. It, it, uh, it, it is a real sort of uh, tour of, of Western civilization. He made his case very powerfully. Yeah, he mentioned that uh, he actually got to go over time. Now, you've spoken at Amrin, Peter. I've spoken there. Jared is quick with the hook. He actually, he actually was able to outmaneuver the hook and, and, and go late. So uh, that, that's impressive uh, in itself. Yeah, but, that's remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, everything that Steve Keek said in the first hour, I couldn't find any cause for a disagreement. Of course, his championing of an America first immigration policy is something near and dear to your heart, a signature issue, but by no means the only issue covered there at VDare.com. Uh, let's start there, Peter. Well, you know, to VDare.com, we followed Steve King's career very, very closely for a long time. And in fact, we our book club, James Kirkpatrick actually did an interview with him on on, on his book, uh, Walking Through the Fire. Um, we do have a disagreement with with Steve King in that, you know, he he he's quite completely contrary to what these swine in the in the Republican Party, the mainstream media, to the extent that they can be distinguished, say. Uh, he's not uh, in any sense a, a white nationalist, or, and he's certainly not a racial nationalist. He's always been a civic nationalist. He talks about Western civilization. Uh, vdare.com you know i run i run a it's a fairly broad church and we have people who take uh, more more racially conscious looks at what america is as jared taylor does and we take we have people who who are purely civic nationalists but he he was completely innocent of any of that stuff he was always a civic nationalist and it did him no damn good at all you know they just wanted him out and the reason they wanted him out was uh, i believe because you know, the, the immigration issue is central to the way the Republican Party elite runs itself now. It's not that, for example, uh, Steve King, you know, one of the things about him is that he was extremely pro-Israel. 
But that didn't do anything at all. It was when when he was under pressure from the uh, from the primary in the primary, the Republican Jewish Coalition uh, denounced him. And he was also extremely right to life. But the National Right to Life people denounced him during during the primary. Uh, so so you know he was very very badly treated and. and uh, uh, even, you know, in some sense, what we say, we do, you know, we do take risks, and we are critical of of, of, uh, of a lot of. Uh, we're politically incorrect, but he wasn't politically incorrect. Actually, uh, they just wanted to find somebody they wanted to, to lynch like this. I mean, they, they just they just very, very, they're very, very, very determined to, to to maintain discipline. And I really do think that the key issue to the people who run the Republican Party is immigration. They're desperate to avoid any immigration patriot emerging as a leader, which is why they went to such great lengths. McConnell went to such great lengths to to to, to suppress uh, Chris Kobach in his Senate race in in, in 2020. Uh, and and why why nobody nobody rallied behind uh, Jeff Sessions and so on. Uh, they're very determined to prevent this issue from, from, from um, you know, it's why they ran against, why, um, why uh, Kevin McCarthy spent money against Laura Loom and her primary. She was running on immigration moratorium. And Joe Kent, in, in his primary, uh, he, uh, he was running on the immigration moratorium issue. Uh, they, 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 the, the, the immigration is the, key, is the key issue. I realize that I'm obsessed with immigration. It's my, what I do every day. But I really do think that the donors and the people who run the party really don't want this issue to surface. And I believe the reason is that they know if our leaders on this question, it, it will it will crystallize massive national opposition to, to the Great Replacement. And he mentioned the, the Great Replacement. I asked him the pointed question. He didn't back down from it at all, and it is uh, no. indisputable, in my opinion, that there is a replacement. Whether or not it's good or bad or intentional, that can be debated, but the fact uh, that the historic American majority... Yeah, it, it's a fact. It's not a theory. It's not a conspiracy. It is a fact. And you can debate the hows and the whys and the whos and the whats, but uh, you cannot debate then, that it I mean, is occurring. And of course, uh, Schumer, uh, the Senate Majority Leader, was just just gave an interview saying that we've got to have uh, we've got to have uh, amnesty for eleven or however many people there are. He said, showing he doesn't care how many people there are, eleven million or however many people there are, because Americans, he said, are not reproducing themselves. So in other words, he actually intends to displace them with new people. He's open about it. It's one of these things, it's like the war on Christmas. You know, the, the, what they say about the yeah, war. Doesn't think that, this. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it doesn't. It's a number of things like this. It's, it's kind of a double thing that the left has. It doesn't exist, and on the other hand, it's a good thing. And that's what they say about the great place. It doesn't exist, <laughs> and also in favor of it. Yeah, that's exactly, you, you, Peter. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you are exactly right. That is exactly what they say. I mean, in in, in no uncertain terms. I mean, out of two sides of their mouth, they say it. Uh, and well, there you go. Uh, it, it, that's exactly what's happening, and, and so. But of course, if you don't think it's a good thing, it's okay to admit that it's happening. If you believe it's a good thing, if you don't believe it's a good thing, that's when it becomes a conspiracy, and you're uh, regulated to the back alleys of white supremacy and neo-Nazism and all of the other things that they like to uh, pretend that we are. Right. I mean, I think the behavior of the National Right to Life organization was, was, was absolutely disgraceful. I mean, they, they had no reason to get involved in, in Steve King's primary, but they did. And it just shows really that they're just, they're just Republican uh, front groups, front groups for Republican leadership. Well, this was something I was going to ask Steve King about, and we didn't have time for it. But I would like to ask you, because I think you are uh, a person that is qualified to answer it and uh, uniquely qualified, in fact. Now, the biggest political news 
Well, ooh, there's the already, <laughs> already. What is going on? My goodness. Well, you get talent. You surround yourself with talent, and time just seems to go by quickly. Hey, folks, the great and good Peter Brimelow, editor of VDare.com. If you don't have a copy of Alienation yet, what are you doing? We'll be right back with him. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. While you're waiting, drop by our Confederate corner for a free cup of coffee and good conversation. Remember, there are no strangers here, just friends who haven't met yet. Dixie Republic, we're not just a roadside attraction, we're a destination for our people. For more information, visit DixieRepublic.com. As you are aware, America is divided over every fault line possible. This is intentionally fostered by those who do not love God, family, or country. We believe a peaceful future as a free people absolutely depends on civility. Clarion Call for Civility is looking for funding and volunteers at every level to make our hopes and efforts a reality. Please donate, sign our pledge, and help us in our sacred cause. Please visit callforcivility.com for more details. Callforcivility.com. Do you know what is great about America? Ask an Immigrant. Ask an Immigrant is a new podcast dedicated to helping Americans, especially our youth, value, appreciate, and be grateful for the freedoms we have here in America. Join host Lydia Wallace-Nuttle as she interviews immigrants from around the world to discover their inspiring personal stories about why they came to America. To learn more about why America is the most prosperous, greatest country in the world, download the Loving Liberty app or go to lovingliberty.net. It's just such a beautiful time of year. It's beautiful music. You put uh, Christmas music with an orchestral arrangement, and you've got something you can win with, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk with Peter Brimelow of VDare.com about the war on Christmas in a moment. We're going to actually talk with him the remainder of this hour about a variety of news and current events, and we'll get all we'll get to it all in good time. But this was actually a question, Peter. I was going to ask Congressman King in the last in the last hour, but I think you would be good to answer it as well. The biggest news story in America right now as we broadcast live this Saturday evening, the biggest political news story the last couple of days, if you can believe it, is a story about Donald Trump having dinner with Nick Fuentes and Kanye West at Mar-a-Lago this week. Now, you and Jared Taylor attended one of Nick Fuentes's events. What is your take on how the media is framing this situation, its coverage of the fact that Donald Trump spoke with a couple of people that they hate. Well, we're going back to to, to 2016, really. The, uh, the the media, which is really basically the Democratic Party, uh, is is, is uh, engaged in, in in trying to paint Trump as a 
as a, a an extremist, and that means that anybody who uh, they can smear him with, they will they will smear him with. Uh, uh, I I actually think that Trump Trump's announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago was was deeply disappointing, and from my point of view, he said nothing about immigration. In fact, he didn't say anything about anything that I really not I really noticed. I think that's a very bad thing. But this this meeting with Kanye and with uh, Ye, I guess we have to call him, and, and with Big uh, Francis is an interesting, <laughs> very interesting development. And the question is, you never know with Trump, was it deliberate or not? Uh, it's hard for me to believe it was deliberate because, of course, what uh, what Ye is doing is, is raising the question of, of Jewish influence in the U.S., which, of course, is enormous and which we're nobody supposed to talk about. Uh, it's very hard to believe that Trump wants to get into that because of his, his own administration was so heavily Jewish influenced with his with his son-in-law and so on. Uh, but nevertheless, he's done it. So the question is, does he know what he's doing? It's even in some kind of visceral sense. I, Fuentes, Nick Fuentes is, is, is a very, very impressive uh, personality. One of the things that came across to me when reading the various reports on this meeting in, in Mar-a-Lago was that Trump said Trump was impressed by him and said said to Ye that he was very impressed by him. That 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 really rings home true because Fuentes is is extraordinarily articulate and very well informed. It's it's, it's almost it's almost unnatural actually in some in some of his, of his age. And you're right, Jared Taylor and I were at AFPAC, uh, his uh, the, the the meeting which he runs he ran down in Florida this this spring. It's an amazing performance. It's extraordinarily hard uh, to. Um, to to hold meetings if you're on the distant right now uh, they're almost always cancelled by cowardly tells this is why be there com we bought our own castle in west virginia so we can hold meetings but he was able to get 1200 it was like a flash a flash uh, convention you heard about it where it was going to be uh, two hours before uh before by by text message before the um before it actually opened and we all assembled there, and he had 1,200 people there. It was really an astonishing performance. Uh, so he has real, he, he's, he's a real force, Fuentes. And, and uh, I'd be very curious to see what he thinks he's going to do now. I mean, I can't what? take Ye's Ye uh, Ye run for presidency seriously. I think it's, um, it's a stunt. Uh, and, uh, but on the other hand, a lot of people who want the issues that he's raising raise. So we'll see what happens. Well, I can tell you, having worked for Buchanan's third and final campaign in 2000 with the Reform Party, if you're not running as a Republican and a Democrat, the intricacies of getting on the ballot in all 50 states, because it varies from state to state, and it varies wildly. I don't think Kanye or anybody associated with that endeavor knows what they're getting into. I know a little bit about it, uh, but they don't, <laughs> I don't think they do. Uh, so unless he's running in the Republican primary, he's got if I get some uh, tough sledding. Uh, but I, I, I will say this. Uh, say what you will about Nick Fuentes. But uh, I, I found the left's platform, uh, you know, up to and including child genital mutilation and the great replacement, you know, all of that is much more reprehensible than anything Nick Fuentes has ever said or done. I, I have a culture gap, uh, Peter. I mean, I'm in between uh, the old war horses like you and Jared. I'm 42 years old. <laughs> Nick Fuentes is about 20 years younger than I, but I always uh, sort of skewed to, to, to an older heart. Uh, you know, at the end of a conference, I'm playing bingo with Kevin McDonald or something. After, you know, the after hours. And so we're stylistically different, but I don't think that that matters. You know, yes, he makes irreverent jokes, you know, about Cookie Monster and things like that. Uh, but it, had it been me or you or Jared or anyone else, had it been Pat Buchanan, it would have been the exact same article 
uh, only the subject would have changed. And instead of Nick Fuentes, you mean if, if, you. if any, any of us, if I had any of us, yeah, had yes, had had dinner yeah, with so Trump so. this weekend, it would have been the exact same article with the exact same adjectives. Uh, the only thing that would have changed was the name of the subject. And the, the article was already written and ready to go for a situation such as this, and it wouldn't have mattered who it was. And that's how the media works. The story would have been the exact same. That's right. That's right. Now, of course, from my point of view, is <laughs> what's this got to do with immigration, which I have to think is the key issue. And, and I just uh, normally just don't know. I know Nick is, is, is uh, in, in, understands the issue. Uh, and, and I believe Milo does, uh, although with Milo, <laughs> who, who knows which direction it's going to go. Uh, but as for Trump, I just don't know. I mean, I mean uh, there was a time when he did understand it, but he, he hasn't said anything about legal immigration for, for a very long time. Well, and I mean, I that was, of course, that, that, was his, that was his burst onto the scene, right? You know, his initial announcement, the golden escalator. Absolutely right. Uh, it, was, it was immigration that got him on the map, and, uh, and, and so all of that's gone. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I never did figure it out in 2016 because, you know, we got credentialed. We were credentialed media at some of the Trump events, and, and, and they, the Trump campaign solicited an interview for Donald Trump Jr. on this program. And, of course, they, they never knew who we were. They didn't know who Nick Fuentes was. They don't know who anybody is. Uh, so you never know what's really going on there. There's some footsie being played, oh, and then, well, of course, you too, Peter. Peter, you too. Uh, there, I was there in the arena when Trump accepted the nomination, and and I saw Vidare being promoted in the arena on signage at the Republican National Convention. But but you know, again, they never know anything about what they're doing. Then they then immediate disavowal. Yes, that's right. It's all surrounded by paper, but a lot of lot of people in, in the Trump campaign were just absolutely orthodox Republicans. And when they faced any controversy, they should just, just run for the hills. And he wasn't, apparently wasn't able to get a grip on that. Well, what, what, what about the need for our spokesmen? And, our, and I want to talk about immigration. I want to talk about the incoming Republican House majority. I want to talk about practical politics with you in just a moment and, and other things. But what would you say about the need? You know, when I look at the people who are doing things right, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, uh, there are a lot of people doing things right. There are people that are not doing things right. But, you know, you and Jared and some of the mainstays on this program, obviously with VDare and Amran are doing things right. Uh, I would like to think that we try to do things right here with regard to the, the way that we present the message. What is the importance of doing things professionally if you're representing this, uh, you know, dissident cause right now and building bridges with the mainstream, you know, as Jared has done and as you have done? Uh, and building bridges with people who uh, can uh, take our heartfelt concerns to the next level. God, that's a really difficult question, uh, James, because uh, you know the, the one of the things that's emerged in last in the last really since two thousand since the two thousand fifteen is that the reign of terror has gotten much worse, and and uh, you know the, right. the ability of people in the mainstream media. To, to, to say these things has really been cut off, and above all, they can't they can't quote us or, or relate to us. And if they say if they even say something that is well, we say but don't cite don't cite us, they enforce around them immediately. This is something that Peter said. So the reign of terror is much more intense. But because that is partly a, a reflection of their weakness. They, they know that, that they're sitting on top of a volcano here, and they have, they have to keep stomping it down. I mean, there's a reason that Anne Coulter, you never see Anne Coulter, who wrote, wrote a great book, Adios America, in 2015 about the immigration issue. You never see her on, even on cable shows anymore. 
Well, used to, she, she used to be, she at one stage on network TV, then she was on cable TV, now she's not, she's just completely excluded from anything. Uh, they, they just don't want any spokesman of any kind uh, to, on, well, on, on any, you know, any of these issues. We mentioned that in the previous hour, the fact that you were regularly featured on C-SPAN and other cable news programs uh, in a better time, yeah. and it wasn't that good of a time, but it was better than what we live in now. And you're right about Ann Coulter. By the way, Ann Coulter will be on this program in January. I just actually oh, got an email from great. her today. So, I mean, yeah, that's, but, you know, honestly, she should have her own. You know, I, I said this about, uh, it could be anyway, Mark Weber. You, well, I mean, you she, should she, all she, be she, anchoring she, your own desks. She should be anchoring your own desk. You know, she, she's the, one of the greatest television debaters of the era. And so she's never allowed on television to debate anybody. It's just, it's just extraordinary. Dan Stein, who is the head of uh, FAI in the Federation of American Immigration Reform. Now, I hear, I hear some music, James. So we meet. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, listen. Hey, this is a guy who's a media pro. Peter Brimlow has been doing it far longer and far better than I. Uh, so he knows when it's coming up time for a break. So we're going to take one, but we still have half a program to go. We're going to continue this conversation. We're going to talk with Peter about the incoming House majority of Republicans, what he would like to see them do, and, uh, well, so much more. Stay tuned. He's coming. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. The Walmart employee who fatally shot six co-workers before turning the gun on himself left a note on his phone hours before the incident. Police in Chesapeake, Virginia, released a copy of the note found on his phone. It's not clear when the note was written, but the gunman identified as Andre Bing claimed he was harassed and said he was pushed to the brink by a perception his phone was hacked. He wrote that his only wish would have been to start over from scratch and that his parents would have paid closer attention to his social deficits. The 9mm handgun used in the Tuesday night shooting was purchased legally. An online spending record was made on Black Friday, $9.12 billion according to Adobe. Overall, sales were up 2.3% thanks in part to electronics. Many consumers embraced flexible payment plans as they continued to deal with high prices and inflation. Gaming consoles, drones, Apple MacBooks, Dyson products, and toys like Fortnite and Roblox were among the hottest items this year. The Federal Communications Commission is banning the sale of communications equipment made by Chinese companies Huawei and ZTE. The agency is also restricting the use of some China-made video surveillance systems, citing an unacceptable risk to national security. The five-member panel unanimously approved the new rules on Friday. It's the latest in the escalation of U.S. restrictions on Chinese technology that began under the Trump administration. Early voting has begun in Georgia. The top of the ticket is the hotly contested Senate race between Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnock and Republican challenger Herschel Walker. Democrats already have control of the Senate, but a Warnock victory would give Democrats a 50-verse vote in the upper chamber, giving the party outright control. There's a new COVID variant known as XBB. You're listening to USA Radio News. Diabetes, high blood pressure, anxiety meds, everyone's on them. If you're a 50-year-old male, maybe a bit porky, and you may even have type 2 diabetes, a million dollars of term insurance may only cost you about 200 bucks a month. Call Term Provider. Speak with Big Lou at 800-568-2790. Big Lou will find a term life policy for you even if you have type 2 diabetes, are overweight, or have high blood pressure. Term Provider has helped thousands of people like you who think they can't afford term life insurance. 
insurance. To buy a million dollars of affordable term life for you, all you need to do is call Big Lou at 800-568-2790. Lou will make sure the scales are tipped in your favor. Call 800-568-2790. Big Lou will answer your call and work to fit you into a term life policy that you can afford. Remember, Big Lou's like you. He's on meds, too. Call 800-568-2790. It's not too early, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's still November, but it is post-Thanksgiving, and that is when the Christmas season starts on TPC's annual broadcasting calendar every year now for 18 years. Can you believe we've been on the air for 18 years, ladies and gentlemen? Wow. Uh, But this is a very special time, and what a wonderful way to kick off the Christmas season on this particular broadcast with Steve King and Peter Bremelow tonight. I mean, are you kidding? What an embarrassment of riches. What a wonderful tandem. Uh, Peter, uh, back to you, my friend. Um, listen, uh, let, let's talk practical politics for a moment. Uh, get your opinion on this, because, you know, you you were, uh, I don't want to say an insider as like a slur or derogatory type of thing. But, I mean, you were in with the in crowd, you know, certainly uh, much more than most. And um, so I'd like to get your take on this. You know, the convi- the, the media's narrative was that uh, the midterms were a huge win for the Democrats. But was it really? Uh, they battled to a draw in the Senate. Uh, the House flipped uh, 222 to 213 uh, in favor of the GOP. So uh, the, the Republicans flipped the House. They'll control uh, the House by the same margins as the Democrats controlled it over the course of the last two years, an 18-seat flip. Uh, I, at the last time I checked, not that it matters, but Republicans were winning the nationwide popular vote. SCOTUS has been doing some good things, better than normal at least lately, in our position to do any more. So, I mean, was it a huge win for the left on election night, or was I just misreading it, or uh, was the narrative just sort of skewed in their favor? No, they, they believe what they want to believe, and they want to believe, you know, they were obviously very relieved that it wasn't much worse than, 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 uh, than it turned out to be. But basically, you know, it's a side performance by the Republicans. It's not as good as it should have been, but then they didn't run run the race they should have done. You know what they should have done is nationalise the race and, 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 and announced they were going to impeach Joe Biden for treason on the border, letting five million illegal aliens in. Um, and, and but they didn't do that, and they're still not doing that. Uh, McCarthy's big talking about possibly looking into impeaching Mallorca, so the the, the the interior secretary, you know, who should have, the Homeland Security secretary, you know. Uh, but the, he's not. He's not the issue. The issue is Biden and Harris. If they impeach Biden and Harris together, with the, which they could do because she's supposed to be immigration czar, you know, the Speaker of the House will become become president. So what are they waiting for? The answer is, you know, the don't the cowards, the stupid, and uh, the donors. The donors don't want that anyway because the donors want 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 immigration. No, it's a pretty good result, and I think uh, we both uh, uh, think very highly of. Um, of Brad Griffin, Hunter Wallace, at, uh, yes. at uh, Occidental Descent. I think his analysis is truly remarkable. I mean, he, he basically points out there was a red wave. 
in the country. Well, of course, first of all, there was a red wave generally because there was a red wave in 2020. The Republicans gained in 2020. But sometimes you see these things saying, well, there was supposed to be a huge, uh, in the, you know, the off year, the president's supposed to lose lots of seats, but they lost lots of seats in 2020. So, so you have to add them both together, um, uh, really. But what Griffin points out, and, and, and he's right about this, is, is that uh, there's a wave throughout the South. Uh, 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 and it extends right up to where we are now in West Virginia, you know, West Virginia, which was a Democrat state until maybe 15 years ago. Uh, now the, Dem- the Republicans not only in this have a supermajority in those legislatures, but they've increased their supermajority. And that's the case of co- right across the South. So uh, basically, uh, we basically have two nations. In two, there are two white nations, uh, at least, in, that's in right. the U.S. But broadly speaking, it's the North and the South. It's the North that's the problem. The white, the white Southerners have decided that they're fed up with the regime and they're, and they're massively voting against it. Now, the North is confused, but it's not all bad up there. I mean, there's serious movements in New York State, for example, because of, um, because of the crime issue. Uh, and, and so the big, great question, really, for the American nation, the historic American nation, which is fundamentally the white nation, is, is um, how do we crack into greater New England from, from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon? Uh, I gave a speech uh, uh, in 2016, actually, at Hellgate, you know, the, the, the most announced uh, <laughs> NPI company, yes, yes. Uh, which is on, on there. And I urge oh, everybody to read this. They put everybody to read it. They said that the next step is to crack into Great New England. And there are various ways to do that, none of which the Trump administration did. In fact, they did the exact reverse. They attacked uh, the ta- Ryan's tax well, policy that Trump, Trump superbly adopted. You know, reduce the state, state and local tax deductions from federal taxes. And uh, I noticed that um, Peter Navarro, in his book on the Trump administration, says that that alone was responsible for costing several seats in in, um, in in Southern California because these high tax states, um, people needed those deductions against the federal income tax, but they weren't thinking in those terms. From a wonkish point of view, of course, he's right. Uh, you, sh- you, should, you shouldn't allow taxes to raise, states to raise taxes and, 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 and dump the, the, the costs onto the federal government. But from a political point of view, you're just imposing enormous costs on people who should be voting for you, the white suburbs of, in Los Angeles and, uh, and in, uh, in, um, in New, York, New York and so on. They didn't think about this you... at all. They never, think, they never think about parties in racial terms. They've trained out of it. If you talk to uh, Republican operatives, you find out they flinch if you if you start asking about the racial base of the coalition, but that's actually what drives American politics. Well, sure it does, sure it does. And you're referencing some of the things that I have read uh, post election and uh, specifically at Occidental uh, uh, Descent, and that is that I think uh, to put it um, bluntly, you have various different nations living on this one continent, but they are divided into two different blocks, and that is red and blue or Republican and Democrat. And the convention, you know, what we're seeing from the media is that Roe versus Wade was a terrible, terrible thing for Republicans, but it wasn't in the South, as you mentioned, Peter. In the South, the red got redder, and the supermajorities got more super, and there was even outliers up in in, uh, places like New York where the uh, Republicans flip some seats. And uh, and even in, in blue states like Oregon, I mean, the entire county, the entire state is red except for Eugene and Salem and, and Portland. I mean, you know, so right. yeah, the metropolises. 
so this is uh, this is something. Yes, I mean what you're talking about is if the Republicans. I remember years ago, you made an appearance. You've been on this show. You've been a mainstay uh, since our inception. But I remember one thing you said a couple of years ago, maybe more than that. I don't remember. It all blurs together now. But talking about how the Republicans could do more if they would actually feed their base, basically, is what you said. And, you know, if they were running a campaign to win, if they were running, I think, a campaign uh, to receive backlash on the economy and other things that they thought would help them and instead of running a campaign that defined who they are and what they were going to do for their base they wanted to have the backlash reception to a poor economy and it, it worked well for them i mean they did they have more power now than they did a month ago but they could have done better how could they have done better peter what specifically should they have done that they didn't do well i was just say i mean i i, I think they should have nationalized the race which they didn't do uh, uh, and, and they should have focused on on the collapse of the southern border, uh, uh, and, and they should have said what they were going to do about it, namely impeach Biden. Uh, and, and I think that would that would have trans, transformed the race. Uh, because this is what, by the way. No, I was just going to say very quickly, pardon the interruption, but in some of these very contested races, you're talking about the difference between winning and losing is one or two percentage points. You know, very often. Yeah. And, and, and if that's the case, I mean, actually, if, if, that's the other thing I should have said, should have said yeah, to James about about this race. You know, it's easy to overinterpret these races. Uh, uh, an awful lot of them are extremely close. Uh, just a few votes uh, uh, the other way, and we'll be celebrating a, a great Republican victory, you know, uh, or a, a great uh, uh, patriot patriot victory, really. Although, of course, the people controlling the party are not patriots. Uh, I'm about to run an article. In, in, the, in um, after the 2020 election, we did an analysis of the, of the, 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 the makeup of the Democrat vote. And it was a very interesting election that for the first time, uh, a majority of Democrat voters were not uh, normal, started to say straight white Gentiles. If you, if you, um, if you put together people, uh, the, uh, non-white vote, the Jewish vote, homosexual vote, uh, they've gone over 51%. And I said that this, what this means is the Democrat Party's tipped. Uh, it's, it's a party that's now in the hands of non-normal whites, uh, which wasn't the case, you know, in, in 1960. I mean, in, in, in 1960 was the last election. I think 64 was the last election in which Democrats got a majority of the white vote. So, you know, for, for damn close to 50 years, they've not, they've not had a majority of the white vote. And it's, it's taken away from like a housing project. And we've just done these numbers again. I've not published them yet. But they're even more dramatic. Uh, partly because the number of people who identify as, as homosexuals has dramatically increased. I don't know whether that's real or not. But whoever they are, they, they are voting, uh, they are voting um, heavily Democratic. So I think about 56% of the, um, the Democrat vote in, in uh, 2020 was, was uh, non-normal, uh, uh, non-normal white Americans. Uh, uh, we're not normal white Americans. Well, and that's so the problem. It. I mean, it's tipping. Yeah, it's it's tipping. That's why the party's run by lunatics. Let's take pause right there. The final pause for the hour. We have but one fleeting segment remaining with the great and good Peter Brimelow. VDare.com. Hey, they've got their uh, end of year Christmas fundraising drive going. It's a cause worth supporting. VDare.com. We'll be back with Peter next. I'm Michael Hill, president of the League of the South. I and my compatriots are Southern nationalists. 
We seek the survival, well-being, and independence of the Southern people, our people. The League wants a South that enjoys the sweet fruits of Christian liberty and prosperity, but our current situation won't allow it. We must have our independence from Washington, D.C., and the globalists. The present system cannot be reformed. Without independence, we will continue down this path of destruction. To us, this is not acceptable. I'm asking you, Southern man and woman, to join us today to free the South. Call us at 256-757-6789 or see our website at www.leagueofthesouth.com. God save the South. In Message 1, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, gave the left evil, spiritual power the more they used the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Revelation 13.2 The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present-day, end-time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. we go now we're getting the hang of this thing it's been a year hasn't it uh, but hey peter if we don't get a chance to talk to you again before december the 25th i want to wish you a uh, merry christmas here on the air and i know that vdare has been a real catalyst in uh, talking about the war against christmas not just the war against christmas but the war against thanksgiving the war against columbus day the war against anything even tangentially related to uh, white Western civilization. And I, I want to thank you for that and wish you that Merry Christmas, my friend. Thank you, James. Thank you. I hope to get cards out this year. Oh, you know, <laughs> that's something we always, well, I, I can't say laugh about. I mean, it is true. We are on each other's Christmas cards list, and I'm a better man for it. And you will get, as a matter of fact, I'll let you all know uh, that uh, we, uh, the Edwards family, will be going out at two thirty on Monday to take our. Uh, we have an appointment to take our Christmas uh, pictures for twenty twenty two, and uh, so we will be getting those cards together and sending them out. Yes, we will. We do that every year. We're very diligent and dutiful about that. That is something I don't let slip, and so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes this year, but I'm looking forward to it. That's coming up on Monday, and uh, we're going to send out uh, TPC's fourth quarter uh, 
letter uh, in the next week, and uh, some of you will be receiving that card. Okay, that said, uh, Peter, let's get back to let's get back to practical practical politics, but also a, a little bit more than that. I, I think that everybody should be building parallel societies, uh, and by that I mean. Uh, Forming a group, a community with like-minded people, whether it be members of your church or your, your, your local area, people that will help you out if you have a flat tire, people that will help you out if your roof needs to be patched, people that will help you out if you need a babysitter or medical care or you need a job. You need to have that close-knit community. I think that's the most important thing. We, You know, Jane and John... Main Street USA out there, they ask, what can we do to be part of the solution? I think that's the most practical thing anybody can do right now. And in the meantime, history teaches us that bloated, decadent, overextended empires eventually fall. And I don't think that the global American empire is going to be the exception to that rule. And I don't think that any of us should do anything to hasten the fall. But it is likely to happen. And I'm fine with that. I'm a secessionist. You know, I don't think that there can be, personally, I don't think there can be any reconciliation with the left. They are too far gone. You know, in the war between the states era, we had a commonality. We were all still of one people. We were all of still a similar faith and similar culture and, and, and so on and so forth. But what, what binds us together now? Consumerism, an economy? What happens when the economy collapses? And it will. America will never again be the United States, and I'm fine with that. I, I don't want to be engaged in a collaborative effort with people who hate me, who hate my ancestors, who hate my history. But until the time for alternative solutions come, yes, I still vote. I, I don't think we can reform. I, I don't think we can reform the system from within at, at this late stage of our decline. But I still vote, and I do what I can with the options that are on the table currently. And with that being said, let's toss it back to Peter Bremelo. Uh, Peter, well, you know, first, James, you respond uh, to you that. Know, I, I, as I am so damned old, uh, I actually remember very clearly the mid-1970s. Mid After the fall of Vietnam, the entire conservative movement was in despair. And we, we thought that, uh, I remember having a meeting, talking to Bill Rush, the publisher of National Review, and he said, when I first met him, which was in 75, and he said, confidentially, uh, um, uh, we're doomed, and the red flag will wave over the world. We need to solve the union, which is in the seventies, mid nineteen seventies. Yeah, and 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 uh, it was uh, we were. It's hard to describe how completely depressed people were after the fall of Vietnam and the tremendous expansion of Soviet Union. They built this blue water navy. They seized Angola, Mozambique. Uh, they were really on the move, and and we we and also of course, you know. It was obvious that the government was riddled through with communist sympathizers. And um, as you know, McCarthy had defeated in, in the early 60s, in the early 50s, the late 50s, and we'd never been able to, to get, get past that. But nevertheless, it also suddenly miraculously changed. Uh, and Reagan was elected and, and, and proceeded, went on to win the Cold War. So for that reason, um, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to, 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 to be totally apocalyptic now. I, I think the trends are very bad. I don't see how it's very difficult to see how the U.S. can hold together on its current course. I mean, one major reason is that the entire ruling class in America has reneged on its bargain with the South. 
I mean, there was a very extensive discussion after the Civil War about, about what there was South and North and reconciliation. And all these Confederate generals got pardons and all that kind of thing. And that's the reason why, why the North was prepared to allow the statutes to put up and all that. That's all been reneged on, you know. Uh, when I first came to the, to the States in the 1970s, if you, if you were in the, in the um, South, you saw the battle flag anywhere, everywhere. Nobody thought anything of it, you know. It's just been, it was the flag of the White South, and it's been completely, uh, that, that bargain's been completely broken. So they are going to see repercussions from that uh, in terms of, in terms of the, the, the laws holding, holding the country together. I mean, quite obviously, a lot of these states should be subdivided. Uh, there was a, a, a deal, there was a, a Supreme Court decision under Nixon, which prevented the, 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 the states from having, um, insisted that they go to this one-man-one-vote thing which in, in effect means that the big cities dom, dominate the hinterlands. But that, that can't happen at the, at the federal level because got, the U.S. Constitution allow, allows for, for the Senate, but an electoral college. But, of course, the left is working on that. They want to abolish both. But, in fact, it should be, the, it should be doing exactly the opposite. It should be restoring uh, state senates to, uh, on, uh, to represent several communities rather than representing one, being with one man, one vote. And the only answer to, to the, the oppression that these rural areas feel the, uh, by the big cities uh, is, is secession. I mean, Southern Illinois should secede from Chicago. The Western Maryland should secede from Baltimore. The, the, the North, and for that matter, Northeast California, a large stretch of Northeast California, which are heavily Republican, they should all be divided away from, from, uh, from, the, from, the, from Los Angeles and San Francisco. These are all changes which, which can and should be made. Well, you know, that's the old saying, land doesn't vote, people do, but there is a vast difference between what you see in terms of votes. I mean, the whole between... point of federalism, the whole point of federalism is to represent the several, several communities, different communities. Recognize that the community is not the same, and so they have to they have to be some way of reconciling them, and that's what the institution of the Senate is for, uh, you know. And, and now the Canadians, unfortunately, them they, they are run from what is in effect the House of Representatives, which is why the uh, central central Canada can, can dominate these vast hinterlands. Well, that, that, that's the thing. Well, I mean, but, but the thing is too. I mean, yes, it would be one thing if ninety percent of the entire population were, were living in New York. Chicago, Los Angeles, places like that, and then 10% were living in the hinterlands. But, I mean, it is a true 50-50 split. It is a 50-50 split. And uh, so, therefore, and that's according to the you know, the counted vote or what's presented to us as the counted vote. And, 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 so, and, and so, therefore, I mean, there, there is more to it than what meets the eye. Now, well, I mean, a couple it isn't minutes, even the question of it being a, being a 50-50 split. If there's a community... Uh, which feels itself to be separate, as, for example, West Virginia does. There's absolutely nothing in common with, with Washington, D.C. at all. Then it shouldn't right. be ruled by D.C., even, even if it's smaller, even if it's only less than a million people. There's a point to which those people are going to say, what do we actually have in common with people? Why do we have to pay attention to them? What legitimacy does this rule have? And so that's why these, these, these states have got to be subdivided. And why we have to hold on to the Senate as an institution. That's why the left wants to abolish the Senate. Well, that's a, you know that's the thing, right? I mean, if the North Sentinelese on the North Sentinel Island uh, can maintain their Stone Age culture without the fear of repercussion, why can't half of the American uh, population, at least half, uh, do the same? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to remind you to go to vdare.com. I talked with Peter before the show tonight. I am at vdare.com, if not every day, several times a week. 
Um, and it is one of the very best outlets for our people. You need to be supporting the best of the best, and uh, that's what Peter Brimelow is. He's been doing this for so long, and it's such a great sacrifice. I mean, Peter could have been in with the in crowd. He could have done the wine and cheese circuit, and that would have been good enough. Uh, but he chose a higher uh, I'm, ju- I'm just too- I'm too onerous for that. Uh, <laughs> well, Peter, let me ask you this. Last question. And uh, listen, I again, Merry Christmas. I hope even in this late uh, date of November that Christmas has fallen on the Vidar Castle there in the beautiful hills of West Virginia. But without having a Republican-controlled Senate, what are some of the things you would like to see from the House? At least what would you like to see the House advocate for between now and 2024? I mean, in terms of what needs to be done, they have to put, they have to obviously pass an immigration moratorium. They have to end birth, birth of citizenship. They have to throw Puerto Rico out, out of the, any kind of relationship with the, with the, uh, with, with, the, with the U.S. Union. It's insist, insist that uh, Puerto Rico be independent to, to, to prevent the Democrats from making it a state. The same thing with D.C. They should merge it with Maryland or something, uh, to, so the Democrats don't get, don't, don't get to make it a state. Um, that I think they should impeach up and down the board. I think we should start impeaching judges. You know, the the um, the, the, the the liberal cryptarchy. Ju- ju- the, the judges have simply lost completely lost sight of what the law means. They just rule the, the rule whatever, whatever way they want. Now the Supreme Court has shown some signs of uh, of reining that in, but even there, it's too cowardly to uh, to just to, to admit that the rationale used to overthrow Roe should also be used to overthrow the gay marriage thing. Merry, Merry Christmas, James. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you too, and to your wife and to your children, to your entire family. Folks, vdare.com, if you want to stay in touch with Peter Brimelow, you want to stay in touch with the good work that they're doing there and all that they advocate for, I will guarantee you this. If Peter Brimelow was our czar, you would have to worry tonight going into the Christmas season. Peter, God bless you. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Stay tuned, everybody. Third and final hour coming up next. Napa guy knows the only way you'd give a freshly minted driver a brand new car is if he promises to never drive it. Instead, let him grind the gears and knock over the neighbor's mailbox in something a little more suited to his skill level. And with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, he can safely drive something that's nearly as old as he is. It's not perfect, but it's perfect for him. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. We have the new product at InfoWarsLife.com, BioTrue Selenium. We've had so many requests over the years for selenium, and just recently, we were able to source a certified organic bioavailable selenium from mustard seed extract. When you take selenium in the body, it actually benefits the detoxification systems in your body. It helps balance the thyroid gland. It helps detoxify. Selenium is another one of those absolute must-haves. The highest concentration of selenium is in the thyroid gland, but it's actually used all over the body. As a matter of fact, there's 25 genes in the body that are directly dependent upon selenium. So it really is a all-around new
nutrient that everybody really needs. I'm taking it now every day. This is so key. BioTrue Selenium is the product, the best selenium that we could bring you. We believe it's the best out there at a very, very low price. Exclusively available at InfoWarsLife.com or by calling toll-free 888-253-3139. You're listening to the Political Cess Pool on ResolutionRDO.com. Call and listen now at 607-203-5423. That's 607-203-5423. Katie Armour raised the standard. Finally, AR500 steel core body armor that comfortably conforms to the chest and torso. Unique design distributes weight. Feeling lighter, increases mobility, and lessens fatigue. Introducing the Combat Quad Bend CQB, a revolutionary plate-forming process that caters to the end user. The CQB is an industry game-changer, a must-have for the ladies. Available now, only at katiearmor.com, c-a-t-i-armor.com. Come and take it. You're listening to Resolution Radio. Radio. ResolutionRDO.com You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program. And here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not one of the Christmas carols that are on the all-time's greatest hits list, but it is one of all my all-time favorites, and it's one that we always, I think, try to work in here at the very start of the Christmas season. That is a, a hymn that dates back to England in the year 1853, written uh, by John Mason Neal, an English Anglican priest in um, a hymn writer, scholar, a good King Wenceslas, and that to me represents everything that there is about being a Christian, the sacrifice for your kith and kin, the sacrifice for your faith and your people. It is a beautiful and wondrous hymn, and if uh, that was sung by a traditional Eng- English choir, we're going to be playing that throughout this, our third and final hour tonight. If you didn't catch the lyrics if you couldn't decipher them i will relay this poem to you after each stanza good king wenceslas looked out on the feast of stephen when the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even brightly shone the moon that night though the frost was cruel when a poor man came in sight gathering 
winter fuel. Ladies and gentlemen, rounding out our holiday broadcast this weekend is Lawrence Blanchard. He has a Master's of Divinity, and he's joining us to discuss uh, discuss matters of faith, our biblical heritage, and his book, which I have on my desk right now in the studio, The Authentic Gospel, Restoring the Original Intent. Lawrence, it is great to have you tonight. What a wonderful way to kick off the Christmas season on TPC. How are you doing this evening? Well, I'm doing just great, James. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, you know, uh, we had talked about having you on even before tonight, and you were actually scheduled to appear a week or two ago. And then I thought, you know, considering the subject, considering the time of year that it is, I thought it would be best to move you to to this evening. And what an evening it's been with uh, Steve King, Congressman King, Peter Brimelow. You actually sent me an email earlier today talking about uh, sort of the serendipity of how it all came together. Yes, right. Well, uh, as you know, Steve uh, King uh, did speak at American Renaissance uh, conference not too long ago. I was not there at the conference, but I know he spoke. And uh, interestingly, uh, there was a church, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I don't know anything about the church. I don't know where it's located. But they came out against the conference and talked about how the conference was uh, a bunch of, you know, white supremacists and racists and, you know, the, the jargon that goes with it. And uh, a fellow named uh, J.B. Clark had written an article, and it was posted on American Renaissance, uh, basically exposing all of that and what, you know, how not nonsensical the whole thing was. And uh, so... But it's typical of uh, what the vast majority, if not almost all, of the Protestant evangelical churches are preaching today. And I try to show that in my book, The Authentic Gospel, Restoring the Original Intent. And, uh, you know, I I wanted to be fair. Uh, You know, I came out of this tradition, this Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, that uh, and I was a pastor of several churches, and at one point, uh, the Lord in his mercy, I didn't think it was uh, in his mercy at that time, but he jerked me out really hard, leveled me spiritually, economically, uh, physically, and he just took me out, and and it just was a devastating experience for me, because I thought he called me into the ministry, and I didn't know what was happening and why, but uh, he did that for a purpose that I could see now as I look back, that he had to remove everything from me in order to rebuild. And so, you know, my story and how I got to this, uh, the book that I just wrote, uh, began with the study of law. And I found out is is I kept studying, I had a keen interest for some reason in the law of our country and and where the laws came from. And as I was reading Blackstone and some of these other uh, jurists of the past centuries, I noticed that the Ten Commandments, for example, were inherent within the European tradition. And was inherent within the European laws. And this is 
where our nation came from, the foundation of common law and so forth. But it was all based upon the Ten Commandments, and Blackstone made that very clear. And so we decided, I thought, well, this is interesting. So I had to ask the question, why is it within European people and really nowhere else? It's not in China, it's not in India, it's not in Africa. Why here? And so one question led to another, and I began to discover that, hey, maybe, maybe it is the Northwestern European people and their kindred who are the people of Israel. And as I began to investigate, God began to put people into my life, and I began to read uh, books on the subject matter, and I, I thought, this is, I said, this changes the whole paradigm. And so I had to go back and study the Bible again, James. I had to start from the beginning. I just kind of said, okay, we're going to start from the beginning, and I'm going to read the scripture from the beginning all the way through. And as I did, I took notes, and I began to see a pattern. And the pattern was that the Bible, in essence, is the story, historical true account, of one man and his family, and all the way through the Bible, beginning particularly with Genesis chapter 12. And the covenants, the key people, the events all line up in a very consistent manner. And I thought, I, I've never seen the Bible this way before. And so, you know, I, I just was fascinated by this, and I just delved into this and through my research uh, and through my own study, I began to see uh, what the truth of the matter was in our heritage. Our heritage goes back to the Bible and it goes back literally. And so that's where it all started. I don't even know where to begin after that opening salvo. Uh, Lawrence Blanchard, our guest right now. By the way, folks, be sure to check out his website, yourbiblicalheritage.com. Yourbiblicalheritage.com. I've got a lot I want to talk with this gentleman about, and we'll get to it next. Antelope Hill Publishing is America's leading publisher of dissident books, bringing you a wide variety of new translations and original works on every subject from the Spanish Civil War to the funding behind the transgender movement. Antelope Hill publishes books that mainstream publishers won't touch, full of information that challenges the political status quo and brings real culture to the reading public at an affordable price. If you count yourself as a political dissident, you owe it to yourself to check out the Antelope Hill catalog with exclusive offerings like Solzhenitsyn and the Right, the Open Society Playbook, Opioids for the Masses, and many more. There's something there for everyone, and new titles are added every month. Check out the catalog today at antelopehillpublishing.com. That's antelopehillpublishing.com. I'm James Edwards, and I want you to go to antelopehillpublishing.com. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier. 
and this multiplication gives more evil spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9, 6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah, a message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. People, pay and stand by me. If Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never really dug into the words of that Christmas carol, that hymn, you really should. Now, I shouldn't have mentioned this because I'm a tough guy. You know that. But <laughs> listening to this song, boy, it'll bring a tear to your eyes if you think about the potency of its lyrics and what it's talking about. That particular stanza, Hither Page and Stand By Me, if thou know'st its telling, yonder peasant, who is he? Where and what his dwelling? And the page answers to the monarch, Sire, he lives a goodly hence underneath the mountain, right against the forest fence by St. Agnes' fountain. And I'll tell you why we're sharing that particular hymn tonight. But first, back to Lawrence Blanchard, author of The Authentic Gospel, Restoring the Original Intent. Be sure to check out his collection of works at yourbiblicalheritage.com. Lawrence, I couldn't have been more impressed with your opening remarks in the previous segment. I wrote an article, sort of a short autobiographical piece for Christian Webzine back in 2015. And in it, I... I will just read an excerpt, just two paragraphs here. Paul and his compatriots made three missionary journeys to spread the gospel, the second of which is of particular interest to us. Uh, that's where Paul wanted to go to Asia to preach, but Acts 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit prevented him from doing that. And in a vision, Paul saw a man standing across the sea shouting to him, come to Macedonia and help us. And, and so Paul immediately assembled his team and went. Uh, so why is this of particular interest, though? Because it is the introduction of Christianity to Europe, and that is to white people. Now, rather than send the gospel to Asians, God first sent it to white people, our people, and we embraced it. And unlike other people on this globe, we weren't conquered into Christianity. We were convinced into it. We saw its virtues. We accepted it. We cha it changed our lives and the lives of our ancestors. And for so long, Europe itself was known as Christendom. Uh, the faith is Europe, and Europe is the faith. And it inspired our people to the greatest discoveries and accomplishments in the history of the world. And if you are a white Christian, this is your heritage and birth right now. The modern-day churches don't teach that. They, they, they say that it's, you know, in fact, a sin to be proud of that uh, birthright. And uh, I'm sure, Lawrence, you have a response to that. Well, I do. And uh, coming out of that, 
I understand where they're coming from. And when I wrote this book, The Authentic Gospel, I was fair, uh, fair with them in saying, look, there are some things that you can prove biblically, according to the evidence. Uh, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, salvation, redemption, uh, all of that is biblically based. And, and, I, and I shared that at the beginning of the book. But then I said, but the majority of Christ, Christians, uh, mission agencies, church denominations, independent churches, uh, all believe that this gospel that Jesus preached and his disciples preached was, is for everyone on the planet. And, and what I did was say, look, let's take a, a very objective look. Let's use the principles of biblical interpretation. Basically, everything must be determined by its context, and the Bible must be allowed to interpret itself. And when those two principles are exacting and objectively applied, you cannot come up with a different gospel. And uh, it is a gospel that went back to Abraham. It was preached to Old Testament Israel in Moses' time. It was preached by the prophets in the context to Israel. So this gospel that Jesus Christ preached, the gospel of the kingdom, was not unknown, but it was understood by that, those first century Christians in Judea. And of course, as you mentioned, when the Apostle Paul and the rest of the apostles went uh, further out to the Greek areas, uh, and you know, as you mentioned, to Macedonia, uh, this gospel was received. The problem is, is that there has been misinterpretation of the and, and assumptions made that are considered fact. Uh, for example, uh, I use the word world, you know, the translations of world. What does world mean? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3.16. Well, what does the world mean in that immediate context? What does it mean in the context of the Gospel of John? And if you trace that word, it comes from the Greek word cosmos, it, it is defined specifically as a people, as a world system, not a global system, but a world system. And if you take that in the context of the entire Bible, it's talking about Israel. From Abraham all the way through the New Covenant Scriptures, it is about one people, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And James, consider the uh, implications of our heritage. If this is true, that we are the covenant people of God, consider the implications, because it was God's intention to restore his kingdom the Adamic race, the white race of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in particular to restore and manifest that kingdom in righteousness, peace, and joy, and power. And the plan is very clear in the New Testament about how that is to be implemented, and is to be implemented through local covenant churches. 
And, you know, we talk about the world system and, uh, you know, the, the IMF, the United Nations, the World Health Organization, and all those organizations and globalists that control this country right now. Well, how is that going to be stopped? It's going to be stopped when we take local control of our local magistrates and say, this is the way it's going to be. We're going to live biblically, and we're not going to have any other way to do it. Uh, If it's controlled locally, James, this whole global system collapses. You know, Lawrence, I don't think I've told you this. I know I haven't told you this, but people familiar with this broadcast will know this already. I grew up as uh, a Southern Baptist, and it was a wonderful upbringing. I went to a very small church. The pastor of that church, still a near and dear good friend of mine, yeah. he uh, introduced me to my wife. He officiated our wedding. He led me to the Lord. He uh, officiated the, the funerals of anybody near to me that has ever passed away. He was the pastor of this church when my grandparents were going there, when my parents started to go there before I was born. And all through my life, 42 years of age, I've known this man. It was a wonderful, wonderful way to grow up in a small a Southern Baptist a church, and it was in that nest that I marinated in my formative years, and it was just a real shame. It's It's been a real shame to see, it, because that was a, a wonderful uh, hierarchy there. I mean, it was a bottom-up type of thing, where the local church was autonomous, and you know, in the Southern Baptist, it's a little bit different than some of the other denominations. The, the local church is autonomous, and the higher you go, the less power they, they supposedly have. But of course, you know, when the Southern Baptist Convention started attacking the Confederate flag and the ancestors of all of those people who made the Southern Baptist uh, Convention an entity to begin with, you know, attacking our heritage, attacking the people who championed our faith uh, before our time, you know, I couldn't stand for that. So I began to speak out against it on this program. And then, uh, well, again, you can, people can look this up. You know, the story, my pastor got a call. They said, you got to discipline James Edwards. He's, you know, he's a racist. He's this, he's that. He's saying this about the flag and my pastor, you know, I've known this guy my whole life. He's still a friend. I said, I yep. can't do that. I, you know, I don't think that's a sin. I, I know James, you know, I don't, you know, I don't care what the CNN or the SPLC says about James, so on and so forth. I've told this story so many times. I don't want to dwell on it. Uh, but they ended up taking action against the entire church body and just fellowshipping the church. And, you know, I, I, I think we need to get back to that authentic gospel, do we not, Lawrence Blanchard? You know, the people who are willing to sacrifice their actual lives, their actual lives, not just what the media may call them, not what the enemies of Christ might call them, but their actual lives. They were willing to sacrifice that. That's the kind of faith that will motivate a man to do something, uh, to rise to a higher calling, something greater than himself. We'll be back with Lawrence Blanchard next to talk about that. Pursuing Liberty. Using the Constitution as our guide. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. We are learning more about the six victims in this week's shooting of a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. 16-year-old Fernando Chavez Barron is the youngest victim. A visual was held for him at the store Thursday night. 
Chavez Baron's friend, Joshua Trejo Alvarado, was there and spoke with television station WTKR. I was hoping everything was a dream until the day I wish he, still, he was here standing with me. Chesapeake police released details of a so-called death note from the gunman, Andre Bing, that was left on his phone. Bing was a supervisor at the store. Police confirmed that the handgun Bing used was purchased legally the morning of the shooting. Bing ultimately was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Heavy rain has triggered a massive landslide on the southern Italian resort island of Ischia. At least one person is dead and up to 12 others are missing. Rescuers are being careful with a small bulldozer to pick through the mud as they search for possible victims. Reinforcements, including teams of sniffer dogs, arrived by ferry to help. A Florida judge will decide whether a former college student who randomly killed a couple in their garage six years ago will stand trial. 25-year-old Austin Haroth has pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity for the August 2016 slayings of 59-year-old John Stevens and his wife, 53-year-old Michelle. Haroof was 19 at the time of the incident. He allegedly knifed and bludgeoned the couple to death. By the time police arrived, he was chewing on John Stevens' face. Haroof nearly died from the chemicals he drank in the garage. Award-winning actress and singer Irene Cara has died. As an actress, she had her breakout role as Coco Hernandez in the 1980 movie Fame. She also sang the title track from that film. Three years later, she scored another hit with Flashdance with a Feeling. Cara's death at her Florida home was confirmed by her publicist, Irene Cara, was 63. You're listening to USA Radio News. With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money. Mike Kappel here, serial entrepreneur with words from another happy payroll customer. Well, it's very easy to use from the login and the setup was extremely easy. I didn't have to call anyone for help. I was able to do it on my own. And I love the fact that I can run my payroll and print my pay stubs, and then you guys do all of the filing for me. So I get a quarterly report that everything's been filed on my behalf, and then at the end of the year, I can print out my W-2. So I use you guys. I tell everybody, it's the easiest thing I've ever done. Why anybody doesn't use y'all, I don't know. Visit us at PatriotSoftware.com. Use promo code RADIO and get two months of payroll free. That's PatriotSoftware.com. With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money. Bring me flesh and bring me wine. Bring me time, Lord's Again, ladies and gentlemen, we're just kicking off the Christmas season here on TPC, and it's specifically why I wanted to bump, if you'll pardon the phrase, Lawrence Blanchard to tonight's program, which is the first of our Christmas season series of broadcasting. Uh, that is the Christmas hymn, as we mentioned, Good King Wenceslas, John Mason Neal, England, 1853. In that particular stanza, Bring me food and bring me wine. Bring me pine logs hither. Thou and I will see him dine when we bear him thither. Page and monarch, forth they went. 
forth they went together through the cold wind's wild lament and the bitter weather. And then the page responds to the monarch, Sire, the night is darker now, and the winds blow stronger. Fells my heart, I know not how, I can go no longer. And the monarch responds to his page, Mark my footsteps, good my page, tread thou in them boldly. Thou shalt find the winter's rage, freeze thy blood less coldly. Lawrence, that is a hymn of sacrifice where a king and his young page are sacrificing bitter weather and a treacherous trip to take winter fuel, food, and kindling to one of their kinsmen, to their countrymen. They're not risking that for someone in some far-off land. Not that that would be a bad thing, but the modern-day church now teaches us that there can be no salvation if we are appreciative and thankful of the way that God made us. Our ancestors were all evil. You know, people talk about this. Well, I, I'll get to this in a moment. I'll, I'll, I'll get to this in a moment. But, but, but the the theme of this hymn. What do you make of it, Lawrence? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. No. Uh, yes, that's uh, that's correct. And uh, you know, the interesting thing is, James, is that. I think a lot of the uh, a lot of our people in the past understood who we were. I was told by a pastor uh, many years ago uh, who really understood this message, and uh, he had written a number of articles and, and publications. And I said, "Well, how come uh, our people don't know this?" He said, you don't understand. He said, most of the Lutheran pastors at one time knew this. They knew who we were, and they preached that gospel. And I said, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, but, but it's true. It, you know, it, you know I, I ask pastors, I ask them the question, to whom did God make a new covenant with? And I've only had one pastor in the last 25 years who answered it correctly. Now, that's an interesting question because, uh, you know, if we don't know the answer to that question, it, it should be very basic. But in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33, in Hebrews 8, 8 through 10, it's very clear. God made a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah. And they didn't know how to answer that. And I thought, and, and frankly, after three years of graduate school and seminary, I didn't know how to answer it. That's how dumbed down we were. And the problem is, is that without understanding that and the history of Israel as explained in the Old Testament, we wouldn't know who the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Judah are in relation to what is translated as Jews and Gentiles, respectively. And I show in my book that one of the major critical assumptions that is absolutely false is that Jews are Israel and Gentiles are everybody on the planet. And I show 
especially in my books, and I go through this very carefully, uh, point by point, as I review the historical account of Abraham and his family, all the way through Israel and all the way through the New Testament, that Jews, unfortunately, that's a bad translation, and, and it's confusing to a lot of people, but it should be Judeans or the house of Judah and the Gentiles, the house of Israel, that was reconciled by God through Jesus Christ, not only back to God, but to their brethren, Judea uh, and the Judeans. And unless you know that history and can trace it all the way through the Bible, you wouldn't understand who the Bible is for and how it's to be applied. That is critical. And so these assumptions have become facts that have, you know, we've, we've had this for the last 18 centuries, this idea. But the idea uh, that Jews are Israel and Gentiles are everybody else on the planet is absolutely unequivocally false. You've got that here in your book, and I am on page 142 as I hold it in my hand here at the studio, uh, a piece on Judeo-Christianity, so-called Judeo-Christianity. You write, Lawrence, much of people's ignorance about what has been and still is is due to the commonly accepted belief system, Judeo-Christianity, operating behind the scenes to create a universal, egalitarian, and you put in quotations, Christian culture. Also in quotations, uh, quotations, Judeo-Christian is in uh, appellation implying that Judaism is the basis for the Christian faith. It is what I acknowledge and assumed as true, uh, but it is not. Yes, that's correct. Judaism was never the basis for Christianity, biblical Christianity. And to say that it is, people don't understand where Judaism came from. It came out of Babylon. And the Judeans who came back, the remnant of them, to the land of Israel after the Babylonian captivity of 70 years, brought with them uh, this idea of a Babylonian religion called, that was now called Judaism. And in my book, I've written uh, seven books called the Covenant Heritage Series. You can find them on our website. But in the second book, we detail exactly where it came from. And I quote Jewish historians and Jewish authors, including rabbis, that testify that Judaism is out of Babylon. And the Judaism that is practiced today is out of Babylon. It has nothing to do with the Old Testament. And Judaism, uh, codified in the Talmud, is, uh, well, how can I term it? It is the most anti-biblical piece of work uh, ever produced, and in many cases, vile. There is no way that it can be that. And in Judaism, and uh, I think Kevin McDonald talks about this also, when he talks about, uh, you know, why the Jews have really gone for egalitarianism and uh, promoted the immigration is to protect themselves also. Uh, so they have been at the forefront of this egalitarian idea, and the churches have just lapped it up. And unfortunately, they 
when I, I quote these churches in the latter part of my book and what they say about uh, white, the white race and uh, racism and so forth, I mean, you might as well read it out of a government document or a corporate document. Uh, they have, it, it is lockstep in line with the world system. And, and I will go as far as to say, James, that everything that has happened in our nation uh, and in decades past, and even back to the war between the states, if the churches in the North and the churches of the South had said, no, we are not going to go to war against our brother because we are one brother, and they were to stand up and say what is being dictated by the federal government is wrong. And if the churches would have just stood up even at that point and from then on and say, no, for example, the Federal Reserve System with and the creation of a monetary system not based upon God's laws of just weights and measures is wrong, and we're going to protest against that. We're not going to put up with it. If we had done that, we would not be in this position today. I lay everything at the doorstep of the churches. Let's get to that when we come back with one fleeting segment remaining. I've used the uh, adjective twice tonight. Very rarely do we have a show that we could have gone the full three hours, which each of the three guests, Steve King, Peter Brivolo, Lawrence Blanchard, but boy, could I have ever. Check out his website, yourbiblicalheritage.com. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise, from flags to t-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com, where you can meet all of your Southern needs. While you're waiting, drop by our Confederate corner for a free cup of coffee and good conversation. Remember, there are no strangers here, just friends who haven't met yet. Dixie Republic, we're not just a roadside attraction, we're a destination for our people. For more information, visit DixieRepublic.com. Small Business Tech Guys is a team of experts ready to assist you with any service relating to growing your business. Our team specializes in information and technology, social media, general consulting, and HR. We thrive on assisting startup entrepreneurs with growing their businesses. If it's small business, it's our cup of tea. To schedule your free discovery call today, consider sbtechguys.com. We keep an eye on tech so you don't have to. sbtechguys.com. Have you ever heard of Loving Liberty Ladies? Well, the Loving Liberty Ladies are here to help you learn our American heritage and the way it affects today's society. The Loving Liberty Ladies also have a discussion guide called Proclaim Liberty. And with this guide, you can start your own group in your hometown. Get yours today on our website at lovingliberty.net. Look for our lesson supplements, too. They're free. To hear all the special offers and to join the fight for freedom and liberty, please go to lovingliberty.net.
No, it sounds beautiful. It sounds it's a traditional English choir. It's a beautiful hymn. Uh, but if you're listening to it and you can't see the lyrics, you might not understand what they're saying in that particular verse. The page speaking to his king, Sire, the night is darker now and the wind blows stronger. Fails my heart. I know not how I can go no longer. The monarch responds, mark my footsteps. Good, my page. Tread thou in them boldly, thou shalt find the winter's rage, freeze thy blood less coldly. And then the choir joins in. In his master's steps he trod, where the snow lay dinted. Heat was in the very sod, which the saint had printed. Therefore, Christian men be sure, wealth or rank possessing, ye shall, ye sh who now shall bless the poor, shall yourselves fine blessing. Lawrence, uh, they're talking about your fellow man, your fellow countryman, your kinsman, your kinsman. That's what they were talking about. There's nothing antithetical within the doctrines of Christianity with ethno-nationalism and a nation state. I think there is a biblical defense of ethno-nationalism. I don't think it is antithetical to believe that your ancestors and your forebears were wrong for not having mixed with the different races of humanity. Correct me if I'm wrong in that, Lawrence. No, you're absolutely correct. You're spot on. Uh, but as we can see, what's happening with the massive immigration and the acceptance of the tolerance and diversity and uh, inclusion and, and almost everything and this, in, this uh, incessant hatred and attack on the white race. And we have to ask the question, why? Why is that? And I think it's because the enemies of Jesus Christ and his covenant people understand who we are. And if we are invalidated, if we are oppressed, and if we are eventually destroyed, that is the key to their taking dominion. But the good news is, is that the God of our fathers will not abandon his covenant people. We're going through a time of judgment today and rightly deserved. But at the end of the day, the God of our fathers is going to restore those who are, have honest and good hearts. And when they hear the word of the kingdom, they respond and hold it fast and produce fruit. And that's the kind of sons and daughters of his people that he's looking for. 
And so I have great hope. It, it looks dark. I think it's going to get darker, James, to be honest with you. I think we're going to have to go through a tremendous time of judgment. I, I see the handwriting on the wall. But again, at some point, God will restore his covenant people because he made unconditional covenant promises to Abraham. And those promises he made on that God made on oath to himself that he would fulfill in Abraham through his kinsmen, uh, Isaac and Jacob, and their descendants. And that will happen. It's just that we have to take responsibility, our responsibility and obligations to do what is right and to proclaim the truth and to gather locally in covenant churches and really say, look, uh, we're taking dominion here. We're taking dominion in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the thing, and this is what I have said before. Why do they want to separate our people? Our people, Steve King, Western civilization, Peter Brimelow, white people, whatever you want to call us. And it's both of those, to be sure. Why do they want to separate us from Christianity? And it's because that they hate Jesus Christ. And Jesus yeah. told us that since they hate him, they will also hate us. That's John 15, yeah. verses 18 through 25. But most immediately, they want to separate us from Christianity because the faith of our fathers makes us effective opponents of those who desire to enslave people to debt and to governance, which does not produce societies fostering industry accomplishment, justice, safety, and courage. Now, those are all hallmarks of Christian culture. And, and at least yeah. twice in our history that I know of, for sure, for sure, Christians and Christians alone saved Europe from uh, conquest. Now, but if they can purge Christianity from our hearts, then it's only a matter of time before they can dominate and destroy us. And with our tough, uh, with their toughest opposition out of the way, they can dominate the world. So, how do they go about ridding us from Christianity, Lawrence? I mean, to me, by far, and we have about five minutes remaining. By far, the most effective tactic has been to convince most white people of the lie that they cannot yeah. at the same time love and advocate for their own people, their own kin, and at the same time be a true Christian. And the lie goes something like this. If you're white and if you love your own people, you're a racist. And the Bible condemns racism. Now, as I said, that's a lie. But enough European Americans have believed it that it has become a primary tool in our own genocide. And having believed yeah. it, people are left with a choice. And here's the choice. You either hate your own people so you can be a Christian or you stop being a Christian so you can be a racist. And that that is a choice that is applied to no other people on the planet, what other race is told that advocacy for their own people is contradictory to their religion? Not a one, not a one and not to us either. And I know and I go back to what I said before. The faith is Europe and Europe is the faith. Our people are synonymous with Christianity. And I will not be told that I have to hate our people and our faith in order to be a good Christian, not by uh, this current system and the churches are a part of it, Lawrence. It's a, it's a shame. And I hear a lot of non-believers who are nationalists say, you know, the church is the problem. Well, the church is a problem. It is not the problem. I mean, the, the situation is you have people who are infected with this disease. Once you cross the threshold of a church house, you don't become immune to the disease. It doesn't just wash away when you enter a church building. You know, you bring that disease with you into the church house and it affects the faith and it affects the head tables of each of these denominations uh, of, of Christendom. 
but but no, I don't think that nationalism is antithetical with Christianity. And in fact, I think that there is a biblical um, a, a biblical uh, defense of ethno-nationalism. Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, James, I could not have summed it up better. Matter of fact, I was going to say you got into preaching now. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I could have, you know, if I didn't go into politics and commentary, maybe I could have been a Southern Baptist preacher if they hadn't have thrown out my entire church along with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my my calling uh, from God is to write. I, I I'm at best at writing. I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm a a preacher, I'm better at writing in, in terms of teaching. And what I try to do is present a story of the Bible. And really, the Bible, if you read it as a story, makes a lot of sense. It's just that the, you know, the, the schools, the school that I went to, the Bible schools and so forth, they chop it up into tiny little sections, and nobody can make sense out of it. But when you read it as a story, it makes a lot of sense. And so what I tried to do in the Covenant Heritage Series is give people a biblical theology that they can understand in a step-by-step, easy-to-follow process. And we also did it in a video teaching series called the Bible Mastery Bootcamp. And they could, they could find, they go to BibleMasteryBootcamp.com, and there's four modules that they can take uh, on a video teaching series. And the first two classes of module one are free, and there's no obligation to go forward. And, uh, you know, if, if, you, if people don't like reading or they have a hard time reading, they can be, be taught. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, I, I try to just not teach but train people how to understand what the Bible says and means. And so I don't want to tell people what to believe. But I want to show them, look, here's a map, and we're going to go through the story, and you fill in the blanks. And, uh, you know, when they come out of it, they go, wow, I've never seen the Bible like that before. And, and that's their start. And so I'm excited about these materials because I know that our people are ignorant of this, but if, if they just engage, uh, it, a whole new world is going to open up. The Bible's going to open up. Their heritage is going to open up, and they can see God's plan and be involved in it. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. Steve King, Peter Brimelow, Lawrence Blanchard, one, two, and three, the first three hours of our Christmas season here, kicking off here in late November, just the first Saturday post-Thanksgiving. going to be a tough act to follow throughout December, but one thing I can promise you is that we're going to have that great Christmas music throughout the rest of the year here on TPC. And for more information about Lawrence Blanchard, yourbiblicalheritage.com really could have gone a full three hours with you tonight, sir. Your biblical heritage, the world is unstable. Our future is uncertain. Do you wonder if there's any hope to reclaim our future and thrive? You can get the answers at yourbiblicalheritage.com. More books by Lawrence Blanchard, Bible Mastery Boot Camp. He just mentioned Bible and Theology. Homeschool curriculum. I have three kids. We homeschool them all. Check it out at yourbiblicalheritage.com. Lawrence, I hope this is the first of more appearances on this program to come. Thank you so much, and Merry Christmas. 
Thank you so much, and thanks for the opportunity. We will talk to you again, I do believe, uh, for everyone who has been a part of the program tonight, our dutiful and wonderful production staff and crew for Steve King and Peter Brimelow, Lawrence Blanchard. I'm James Edwards. We'll see you next week. So much more to come as we head into December. Only one month to go in the year, but we're going to pack it full. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. You're listening to Resolution Radio, 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 ResolutionRDO.com.